and welcome to episode 281 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett, Alex Jones and Jack Harper. Hope everyone is doing well this week. No bank holiday like we had last week, so we do have to go through a five-day working week. Hopefully people enjoyed the podcast. Me and TK did early doors last Monday. I did excuse Jack, did say effectively his biggest crime was not being on his phone at about 1am. Um, unfortunately for Alex, he did gallivant elsewhere, so the fault really is at his in his hands there. But he's back for this week, so uh, Alex, nice of you to join us. A pleasure, pleasure. I won't rise to it. <laughs> Lovely trip to Derby, was it? Uh, it was indeed. Great, nice great game. Nice the podcast. I, uh, yeah, well, wow. I did get to see. It. Wow. I did get to. See, I did get to see a cracking game of football. Derby's last hurrah before being relegated. To be fair, nice. That's uh, you kind of had the equivalent of that guy that bought the uh, Tom Brady last touchdown ball. Like it would have been more <laughs> for you to shout about if they had stayed up. But unfortunately, when you go down the game after, doesn't have quite the same ring to it. Yeah, I think now that I'm safely out of Derby, I can confess that I think I I relegated them because after that game, I was like gassed for them and was super hyped and was maybe shouting, "There's no way this team's going down. There's no way!" And then they're not. Yeah, you looked so. at the league table. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, <laughs> they did just beat top a- of the league, and it's like. Go on. I was about to say, imagine if AJ is just like uh, one of those people who's like, oh, he happens to be on the Titanic, and then another boat that sinks, and then another one. <laughs> he just has this effect on football clubs. He, he's just There's got no like, way this ship will sink. <laughs> he's just got the worst, like, good luck Chuck curse ever. Like, good luck Chuck, the curse winds him up with Jessica Alba, whereas Alex, he just destroys everything, he's, everything he mentions. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only yeah. thing more powerful than the cup finals curse if you go we've got six games left six cup finals congratulations you've guaranteed yourself you're losing the next game that's a powerful curse as well <laughs> yeah particularly when um someone whose name rhymes with uh barry lane says it uh the england striker um <laughs> anyway news of the week this week not too much to get into so we do have a slight subsection which uh, i will introduce you to in just a moment but anyway fire crews rescue washington woman after she falls headfirst into toilet um, she not crying. so this it was actually a, it was a camping toilet as well so if that oh. makes it any more grim I don't, I don't know the logistics some for some reason she must have been above this toilet she dropped her phone and then slipped and ended up headfirst in there and had to be removed by a fire crew so i don't know how she called for help or if someone just came in like desperate turtle in, and then suddenly just sees these legs hanging out of the bowl a voice traveled along the pipes there's a toilet (laughs) next door is that someone speaking to me at my ass what's going on isn't that how they caught a basilisk in harry potter (laughs) (laughs) traveling around the pipes Um, baby born with two Johnsons has larger one chopped off by doctors I I guess that's the medical term they used as well I'm sorry to to tell you miss your baby has two Johnsons which one do you want us to take how furious would you be if later in life you did have like a serious series i oh, just got a small dick and you could have had he's gonna he's gonna at some point like joke like uh at least they took the smaller one i don't know well sit down son 
We got something to tell you. <laughs> Lawyers for man who ate own eyeball argue he's too mentally ill for execution. I don't know, but I feel like when you're making the case, eating your own eyeball is probably a good way. Seems a good good starting (laughs) point, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They're too scared to see him fuck shit up in heaven or hell, depending on... Next time they're in court and the lawyer says, I'm sorry, judge, but my client is too mentally ill. Seems to have two eyes to me. <laughs> um, and as there wasn't any other news this week, I have brought in pig news. Um, so I do have some of the best uh, pig related headlines uh, from the last few years. That I was about to say, we've got an entire segment dedicated to Lacazette then, but okay. He's, uh, he's beyond talking about it at this stage. <laughs> Man calls police to report ex girlfriend for overfeeding hamster, leaving him looking like a fat little pig. <laughs> <laughs> A pet store in Hawaii has selectively bred bold guinea pigs. What the hell? And I hope it's just like receding, like it's just bold on bold on its head. What, but still got it on the sides. Yeah, yeah like like <laughs> the whole body is furry, but just like bold on the top, like it like it's a stressed out guinea pig. That'd be great. Uh, maybe my favourite this week: elderly Chinese man ditched his motorcycle and rode a pig through town. <laughs> stubborn pig lured away with ring donuts not that stubborn like the jam donuts weren't enough <laughs> go back and get me some ring ones his internal voice is like oh they know my weakness oh, God. <laughs> um, maybe the most American headline of all time Florida man cooks bacon with assault rifle <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Eat that, Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> little Caesars to introduce peace. Little Caesars to introduce pizza wrapped in three point five feet of bacon. My God! I told you that Bacon King at Birking had a bit too much bacon, and there certainly wasn't three feet in there. <laughs> at what point do you have bacon where it stops being measured in rashers and it starts being measured in length instead? You go from 10 rushes to 3.5 feet of bacon. We're back onto that Johnson again. <laughs> they replaced his second Johnson with two feet of bacon. <laughs> Man eats 182 slices of bacon in one sitting. Oh, Jesus. A lot of bacon. <laughs> the sweat. Is. <laughs> so, so brutal. Like, is, literally, you'll just be 100% cholesterol by the end of that. <laughs> when when he set out to do that and when you see these kind of records um i like to imagine that they've not practiced this first like they've gone straight in and then 182 slices was the limit i was gonna say uh when he sits down and decides he's going to attempt that do you think he imagines he's getting anywhere close to 182 slices well, I was just trying to weigh up in my head that like, I'm assuming this is an American guy and their bacon is very different to our bacon. So I reckon there's three pieces of American bacon to each one English bacon rasher. 
So I reckon I could. If we do the maths on this, do that. Don't tease us like this, Jack, because uh, Alex, <laughs> oh, has refused, Alex has refused to do some of these records. Um, I, I, will... I, I accepted the grape challenge. Jack, would you eat it in a wetsuit? <laughs> <laughs> the wetsuit is provided for me. I will do that in Christmas time. Uh, do you think you could squeeze into one of Alex's? Absolutely No, not. no. <laughs> if he could pre-bacon, it might be tricky after the post. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get oh, him yeah, out. Record. How many slices of bacon can you eat before the wetsuit pops? <laughs> 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 Would you see pop before the wetsuit? <laughs> Will you ride a pig through town on it afterwards? <laughs> well, the, the, the amount I've Googled pigs in the last fortnight is beyond belief. Uh, just after seeing pigs racing for the first time. So if you see me in the future with a little pot belly pig in the garden, you know where it all started. <laughs> if you see Byron with a pig on his arm. <laughs> Don't ask any questions. <laughs> all right, Alex, do you have anything to say before we move on? Yeah, but I'll show tell. So I, I reckon that this segment, News of the Week, with the, the stories that we bring to the world's attention is catching on 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 the bigger stage because i feel like we're we're being ripped off a little bit we're not getting the credit we deserve there is a i, I don't know if you guys any of you watch goggle box no but i'm fuming that someone's taken the concept of news and is running with it right <laughs> it's, 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 outrageous. it's more of it's weekly more, no no it's more of it's more of the let's say the the rogue wild stories that are being brought to like the main entertainment stage so let, let me skip ahead without let, going into it further so this goggle box this week i found myself watching what can only be described as a woman developing a relationship with a talking male duck and then it finishing with her being fucked by said duck on tv and this is a genuine tv show yeah i I'd, I'd, I'd like these, like, I feel like these stories belong on the podcast here. You, they don't you belong on your own podcast if you want to talk about filth like that. <laughs> <laughs> We're strictly pigs on this podcast, very much. <laughs> hey, well, there's more than one episode in this series, and it's different characters each one. And all I'll say is, there's one that's called. There's one. The episode eight is called uh, "The Woman Who Loved a Horse," and the. Uh, oh, no. so I didn't. I'd stop looking after that. Is this not like Black Mirror or something like that? It's, I look like, <laughs> it looks like it. It's called Raw. And it is, it is, the, is it fictional? Oh, it, it's, uh, well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's called Raw. It's got a lot of big actors in it, like Black Mirror. And it's the basic synopsis is an insight, uh, poignant and sometimes hilarious portrait of what it means to be a woman today. Blimey, we'll do a spin-off podcast if you want to watch that each week, Alex, and report back. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm ready. <laughs> but okay, okay, I'll do my best. All right, well, from uh, one travesty to the next, uh, Chelsea, Jack, we're going to talk about in uh, great detail today. Um, I did approach you with a question yesterday, which you did appear to take offence to uh, regarding Tuchel's time at Chelsea so far and whether things were coming to an end, whether he's taken them as far as he can. Um We've had a slight rejig here, and the question we are rolling with is, is Thomas Tuchel growing frustrated with life at Chelsea? Now, obviously, we don't need uh, Jack to tell you there's quite a lot going on at Chelsea at the moment. 
So rather than just let you fire off at the hip, Jack, I've kind of broken us down into segments here and we'll kind of take things one step at a time. Yeah, sounds good to me. All right. So news broke on Thursday that one of the syndicates trying to buy Chelsea has added Sir Lewis Hamilton and Serena Williams to its roster. And that's the uh, Broughton bid, if I've pronounced that surname correctly. Um, We're at the stage where, from my understanding, effectively the owners, well, the potential owners, are having to convince both the British government and Abramovich, I'm guessing by an intermediary, that they will both be the least controversial and most popular new custodian at Stamford Bridge because, as far as we're aware, the bids aren't an issue. So there isn't one bidding more than the other, and that's going to be a stumbling block. What we do know is that whoever the new owner is, it's not going to be a one-man band like Chelsea had with Roman. A quote I saw on The Athletic says, clearly for a purchase like Chelsea, a syndicate is required due to the sheer size of the transaction. Even super wealthy individuals don't have the liquidity to purchase a three to four billion asset in cash, hence why they've come together to reduce the financial burden. Um, a whip round. Yeah, effectively, yeah. because... Down the pub. You got anything <laughs> in the pocket, lads? Yeah. Well, I think, go on. The thing that's perhaps got me most with this is the Verstappen, obviously, I don't think he needs an opportunity to take a shot at Hamilton, and that's from someone that doesn't even follow Formula One. To which Hamilton's defence this week has been, uh, I'm not actually a really big Arsenal fan. I was forced into it when I was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) And says that all people in his area all had a different team. And he came home and his sister started punching him in the arm and telling him, you have to support Arsenal. Um, He says he's a sports fan and doesn't have a team. So very odd, odd bloke. Um, Yeah, I mean, he's just kind of... I mean, that's one way to win over the Chelsea fans is buy them is just completely throw Arsenal or drag them through the mud just before you like denounce all ties. See that that other potential owner, that Nick Candy, go fall by the wayside after just declaring his complete love of Chelsea, and he must be thinking, "There's somewhere in the middle here. Maybe, (laughs) maybe we'll get it right." Yeah. Um, A potential stumbling block seems to be the stadium. Oh, I feel ridiculous saying this. Uh, a Daily Mail source Ugh. is quoted as saying, without moving the stadium, the sums don't work. They're private equity guys and want to make a profit in the long term. No matter how glamorous the trophies are, the sums don't work without moving the stadium if the deal is for $2.5 billion, which it does read like there is some truth to. I don't think that's too far-fetched. Yeah, I mean, the the main issue with it is that any people that have been to Stamford Bridge is that <clears throat> the actual footprint of where it is, there's it's backed onto flats, and then the other side is backed onto a railway like underground station. So, in able to actually move the ground or increase the capacity, all of those flats owners have to sell, and then they've got to move where the tube station is in Fulham Broadway, which it was the stumbling block <laughs> last time. Um, they did get something approved under Abramovich, but I think it was 2015, 2014, I don't know. It's right before no. he suddenly <clears throat> couldn't get back into the country, wasn't it? Or when he started having his first issues? Yeah, it, it was basically it was shelved after the Salisbury poisonings because of what happened with kicking all Russians out of the country or 
the kind of influential ones. Yeah, yeah. But there was plenty of other, I remember once they were going to move the Battersea Power Station. I remember that. Um, and the plans that were drawn up for that, they were going to keep the original shell of the building and put a pitch in the middle of it. And it just looked mental. Um, sounds problem, mental. <laughs> the, the, the problem with this as well is that obviously with the Chelsea Pitch Owners Association, where Chelsea fans, obviously to save the club when it looked like it was going to go bankrupt around the Ken Bates era, chipped in and basically you can buy shares of the pitch and there's like millions of shareholders of the actual pitch that is owned by fans. So they have to buy all those shares and you can refuse to sell them. And that, I was going to ask about this because now you'll have a better understanding than me. I know with Arsenal, when there were people that were objecting to the Cronkies becoming owners and there were a lot of Arsenal fans that had shares in the club, there was something they could do where they almost like forcibly bought the shares. Now, I don't know if there's anything there, whether Chelsea have the predominant ownership of the pitch or if it is completely so, like separated from the club. So the club own the stadium, but the Chelsea pitch owners own the actual pitch of the land of the pitch. So Stamford Bridge can be like modified around the pitch, but the Chelsea Pitch Owners Association is just is a, started out as a group of fans, a group of season ticket holders that would all buy the pitch from Chelsea and they sold it, which enabled them to keep Stamford Bridge where it was and not be moved. So the Chelsea Pitch Owners Association is just a, a group of fans that's completely separate to the football club itself. Um, because and I guess because any work would then infringe on the pitch, does correct. that then influence the fact what they're able to do? Yeah, correct. So the pitch that Chelsea FC play on is owned by the Chelsea, the CPO, the Chelsea Pitch Owners, and that has to stay exactly where it is unless they <laughs> they offer to sell the shares. It's not um, you can you allow force to keep it through on, basically exactly yeah you can't forcibly take over those shares because they're privately owned, whereas it's not a public limited company. It's more of a charitable first. Is it a charitable trust? Sorry, it's, yeah. it's a strange scenario. But in the long and the short of it is, the Chelsea pitch owners will not sell their shares, so they will mm. have to redevelop the stadium around the original pitch. Now, I guess um, I mean you may have a different view. Every club these days seems to have like one of these almost spokespeople in the like fan media section. So I mean I don't need to tell you the Arsenal ones. Uh, Spurs is a similar, uh, United is like Goldbridge and that kind of people. Now, the one that you see for Chelsea, I think kind of tried to market himself as like the reasonable fan. I genuinely don't know his name or I, I would quote it, but the guy pops up everywhere. Um, I saw him speaking about Stamford Bridge and he said that the majority of Chelsea fans would rather be 15th in the league than play football at any other place than Stamford Bridge. And I don't know what your thoughts are on that. So it's a really tricky one for me personally, because I know we need a bigger stadium, not only for revenue and like keeping up with the rest of the big, the big teams in the Premier League, um, but it's so, so difficult to get tickets. And you think that we um, are only allowed season ticket holders in at the moment, obviously. And you actually look on TV, there's not a lot of empty seats. There's 27,000 season ticket holders. Stamford Bridge has been taken down to 40,000 capacity after they put in the rail seating. Um, 3,000 of that 40,000 goes to away allocations. So you've got 10,000 members, 10,000 seats up for grabs at the moment. It's just an absolute free-for-all trying to get tickets. You're pretty lucky to get them. Um, so I'm an advocate in the sense that 
we need a bigger stadium. I don't want us to move from Stamford Bridge because of the history that's there. I mean, when I was at the Arsenal game on Wednesday, I was having a drink at the pub opposite where Chelsea Football Club was founded in 1905. Like it's, it's a very historic site and there's not many Premier League clubs in big stadiums that get that same history. I know, obviously, there are quite a few, but when you... There was a lot of talk about when Arsenal left Highbury of losing yeah. the soul from the Emirates. Same with West Ham when they left um, Upton Park and uh, they'd moved to the Olympic Stadium. I'm sure it'd be the same with most of the main road. And But I mean, there wasn't much soul there anyway, but you get my point. So you worry oh. that, that everyone knowing everyone's little stores, the, the little local businesses, you, kn- you know your ritual when you go to the game. And uh, I just... Is this not like liking a band though and then not wanting to share it with anyone else when they get big? Like if Chelsea are the club that we're told they are, if they have the worldwide fan base that they know they are, feels a bit, we don't want to share it with anyone else if just <laughs> nobody else can get to see a game because everyone wants to stick around knowing everyone. There is that. There is 100% that. I mean, the Arsenal game on Wednesday was one of the worst atmospheres I've ever heard at Stamford Bridge. It we'll was, speak about that game in a bit, don't you worry. Was, there was silent and... A lot of it was... Good reason for a lot of it. I mean, even before <laughs> that, though, season ticket holders just literally not even watching the game. It's almost like, oh, they've all turned up because they, they're the only ones that can go. So they're one of their usual seats. And they just sat around talking to each other. We had the I chance just, of, uh, just like the old days, there's nobody here. I do, I do find that funny because... In the there old, we go. In the old days, we took over Highbury and we uh, had one of our record attendances at Stamford Bridge that was like 110,000. So... He, Talking while saying that, um, obviously days before I was going, or even though I was alive, so I wouldn't be able to, be able to comment. But Chelsea boys had a good following, and um, it, it, pretty much every game is a sellout. And that's why I think we should advocate for. I would read my perfect scenario is redevelop the initial Stamford Bridge site, play at Wembley for a bit. It's only 20 minutes from Paddington, it's not that far away, so you can get to it quite easily. I know Spurs. Oh, yeah, what a hardship it was for the Spurs fans who had to watch at Wembley. I don't get that. Like, <laughs> I, like, I understand that you're away from your home and that will take its toll. But, by the way, Chelsea have won more games at the new Wembley than Spurs have and they played there for a season. So that's that. <laughs> um, but, He's done but, you there, Alex. That's a gem. Yeah, but um, I mean, it was more than a season, I think. Was it, was it one or two? But anyway, he is. Beauty is, he could have lied there and none of us are going to chat. Like, yeah, <laughs> sounds good to me. I'll go with it. <laughs> it was after the Palace game. Oh, nice. Well, with this, Jack, I mean, I'm sure this is going to plod on and we'll find out more uh, about this when the new owners go through because we've been hearing for weeks now that it's going to be within a few weeks. Who's plodding around here? We've had phones going off. We've had <laughs> someone, someone seemingly like chinking cutlery around. Sounds, I don't yeah, know what the sounds, hell's going on. Uh, Making a cup of tea or something there. <laughs> Alex has got his news it's article me, out. Me, He's got his me, up. me, me, uh, me bending metal at Jack's comment is what was going on there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mute yourself if you're going to do it again. <laughs> now, Jack, one thing obviously impacts the other. I thought the importance of starting with the takeover is that effectively it does seem to have influenced uh, well your squad already. Uh, Tuchel said on Sky Sports on Sunday on Rudiger... He informed me some days ago in a personal talk, effectively, that he's going to be leaving. Um, 
He said, we gave everything we could over many months, me personally and also the club, but we entered into a situation where we could not fight anymore because of the sanctions. And Tony said he will leave the club in the summer. He's a huge influence in the dressing room. He's the guy to give other people courage. He's the guy that everybody is a bit afraid of. He's the guy to play 50, 55 games of 90 minutes at an outstanding level. He's the top defender in the last one and a half years with me, and I have nothing but respect for what he did. He'll keep on going to the end of the season, but we need to find another solution. Now, I think if I was to run a poll exclusively with Chelsea fans as to who your player of the season has been so far, would would it be fair to say Rudiger's probably going to be unanimously at the top? I wouldn't say unanimously at the top, but he's definitely at the top three, 100%. I think, Who would the other contenders be out of interest? I think you'd probably... Mace. Money Mace. It dep- it's really difficult because there have been so many injuries and inconsistencies in playing this season. Like No one's really had a run of it. Mason Mount would be up there as top scorer and top assister, and obviously, because he's had the most contribution. Havertz, potentially, where he's really taken on the role from Lukaku when he down tools. But Rudiger would be up there. Havertz hasn't even hit 10 goals yet. I know, and that's that's how bad it's been this season. But Rudiger's had a better season than him, surely. Yeah, I mean, he's been solid, and he's been. January, Chelsea fans were saying that he he was better than Van Dijk, so uh, yeah, he must have had a good season. I I said that when they um when Liverpool signed Van Dijk and uh, had egg on my face a little bit there. <laughs> so yeah, trying to give it large, and then Virgil Van Dijk just did his thing and made me look like a piece of cheese. Well, I think, Jack, so we've had some interesting things kind of come out of this, which I'll ask you about. So Chelsea's first contract offer was made last August, but according to Rudiger's agent, the proposal was actually an insult to his player. Um, he was already one of the lowest paid, lowest paid senior players at the club on around 90000 a week, which maybe don't feel so hard for the guy when you hear that. Um, but it didn't help batters when Lukaku then comes in on what the Athletic report to be a base wage of about £340,000 a week. Yeah. Um, Chelsea did, though, improve their offer, and they did obviously really want to keep Rudiger, and they offered to make him the highest-paid defender in their history and offered him a four-year deal, which I think is something we'll come back to, on 230000 a week plus a signing-on fee. I, this is the thing, like... You- it's mo- we did our best to keep him by the sounds of it. Plus, as well, like, the amount of money that we're going to have to go and spend to replace him after letting him leave on a free, we're going to have to pay some of those wages anyway. So, plus, yes. Plus, plus 60, 70 million probably in transfer fees because clubs know that we don't need one cent back here. We need like two or three. Yeah. We risk going into next season now with a 38 year old in Thiago Silva. Aspilicueta is probably on his way. Christiansen's definitely on his way. Rodriguez now on his way. We're going to be left with Malang Sar, Trevor Shalabar, and a 38-year-old Thiago Silva for our defenders. Well, Rodriguez has been able to talk with foreign clubs since January. Uh, reportedly, Real Madrid have made an offer for him, and that one looks like it's going to get over the line later today. Barcelona made an offer for him. PSG made an offer for him. Juventus and Bayern Munich have all made contacts of some form. Manchester United also reached out informally, but they're not able to make an offer until July the 1st. Um, Rudiger was happy to stay at Chelsea. They say he didn't need the amount of money he was being offered at those other clubs, which was about 70,000 more. Uh, And it is being reported that 
the reason this took so long and why Rüdiger hadn't put pen to paper by this point is his agent wanted a large signing on fee for both himself and the player that would have added upwards of 10 million to the overall figure. Price. Um, yeah, I mean, I thank him for what he's done. It kind of is what it is in this situation. It's our own so, fault for sending well, Gwehi, Tamori, and, yeah. and, and Co. The interesting thing here, I think, is that Chelsea, as you told us last year with Willian and the less said about him, the better, have an almost ironclad policy in the type of contracts they'll offer to players over the age of 30. Obviously, they're not not offering contracts. You've mentioned Thiago Silva, Azpilicueta, Marcus Alonso, and so on. The fact that for a guy that's going to turn uh, 30 in the summer, (laughs) a four-year deal was on the table for him. Does this one perhaps tell you how he's thought at the club? And also, do you think maybe we've got an early indication of the expected spending power you're going to have in the summer? Because something that Chelsea have been quite upfront with in recent years is, look, we'll let a player leave on a free because we're fairly confident that we're going to re- we've got the money to replace you with someone better. And so you've let good players leave on free agents because you have that spending power. When you're pushing to this level to try and keep Rudiger there, do you think maybe there's a worry that you're not going to be able to go out and say, Koundé's the one you've been linked with constantly. Maybe you're not going to be able to put 70 million plus a signing on fee and all of that this summer. I mean, you definitely got, you definitely raised a good point there. I, I think it remains to be seen with which owners take over. If it is Bowley, it's probably... Judging by the LA, is the LA, what was his um, Dodgers? Dodgers, that's it. Judging by that, they haven't been <clears> tight <throat> on the purse strings at all. But I haven't read up on the situation there. Them claiming to have bought the league. I mean, that's a that's a good. Music <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to your ears. It is genuinely, but what I would say is that it's just false economy, isn't it? They probably put that off on the table because. They know full well that what I just said, where it's going, they're going to not only have to pay someone those wages anyway, but then stump up 70 million to get them in the first place. There is some difference with uh, American contracts as well in that they're not paying so much up front. There may be a signing on fee, but a lot of that is being spread across a contract. Uh, also, the, the main way you spend over is you get almost like a tax penalty rather than it being. 97 and a half million on a Lukaku or a 70 million up front on a defender. So it is slightly different. And from what we're reading with these consortiums, it's going to be a lot more difficult to push through some of these big deals by the fact that you have to clear it with so many people. There is that. But also, I mean, I'm reading up at the moment that the Rain Group, who are obviously the executors for Roman Abramovich, that they're basically some of the gatekeepers for this bid some of them are you can't sell any of your shares for 10 years so you have to commit fully to the club you have to have a set amount of investment for the um the basically the playing staff you're going to have to stump up a certain amount in the first transfer window they're really doing their bit to make sure that we don't go down the shitter which is great regardless of all of that though it's a lot different to how you've been spending previously where almost it's look just put i'll sign Whatever it is, you tell me. If that's the go we got to get, that's the go we got to get. Whereas now it may be more like, say, Liverpool is an example in January where, okay, Luis Diaz is the guy we want. We're going to spend the 50 million or whatever it is. 
but you're really going to have to do your due diligence. And it may be he's the only guy you get, as in you can't take such a risk. It's, and it's so not, it, I mean, it's easier to keep Rudiger then. It's not necessarily a bad thing. If you look at no, no, no. But spend almost what's made you great in the last couple of years is that you've had this completely different approach to the rest of us where it's been, we'll just keep throwing it at the wall. And that's why you've done so well in cups because you've maybe got the ability where some of these players aren't going to sustain it for that long of a period, but you've got all these players in the squad. Yeah, no, definitely. I think I look at it and it's going to be an interesting summer, put it that way. I just, I, it all, the proof will be in the pudding. Like, I don't know enough about it, enough to know about the consortiums, if they're going to spend money or not. I think we do, obviously we're going to need investment. Yeah. We have to sort the Lukaku situation out as well. Um, I just, it's been we'll, such we'll a... get on to Lukaku, don't, don't you worry. Yeah, if I can bring... A... Sorry. Yeah, you go, mate. You go. I was going to say, if I could bring TK in. So, Rudiger is a guy who we've both spoken about previously. But when you look at Tuchel's comments on him, even just in the last week, and you can look at the things he said about him since he's joined the club, how much of a frustration do you think there is from his side? Because for a guy who's dealt with all of these sanctions and things, I guess, as good as he could have this whole time... Is this something where it may be the first real issue he's had to take because he's losing what's almost like an unofficial captain? Yeah, it's definitely a, a big loss for them. And as much as what you guys have outlined about how the fact that they're going to have to replace him, that's not going to be easy. But this guy was going anyway. Who are we kidding it? He wanted out. So the sanctions stuff is really by the by. This guy just wanted gone. I've they seen say they reckon he was going to sign it for a couple of months back. I don't believe it. I don't. I, I don't believe it. I think he did a Wijnaldum. He said, uh, "See ya. I'm off." Highest bidder come in. Ideally, someone like Madrid. Right. Yeah, they're offering upwards of three hundred grand a week. He's. I think he just wanted out. I really do. I, I. I had no belief that he was going to sign a new deal. So the sanctions thing on top, obviously, rules Chelsea out. I think he wanted. Go- I think this is perfect for him because he could say, "Ah, oh, Chelsea fans, I love you. I love this club. You know, I've given my all for this." And I, I probably would have stayed, but obviously, oh, the old sanctions thing. He wanted gone. Yeah. Which is fair enough. If Ramon did come knocking, most people will yeah. want out. It's fair enough. And that's yeah. probably a total car crash because they're not going to get free at the bat for him. I so, yeah. I think, Chelsea like, might get him in 12 months' time. I think looking at it, it's if I was really good and I'm coming up to 30 and thinking, right, I've won the Champions League, won the Club World Cup, I want to win the league somewhere now because um, he hasn't won the league at Chelsea yet. And he's probably looking at the league thinking, well, we're in dire straits as it is. We don't really know what's going to happen in the summer. If I sign another contract now, I could never win a Premier League again. I'm not saying that we won't win it next year. I'm just saying it's the very looking very unlikely with the way that the two at the top are performing. So he's probably got a better chance of winning it at Madrid than he does at Chelsea. Do you buy that though, Chat, that he wanted to leave? Probably. I mean, if if you wanted to to stay, stay. You've kind of gone back and forth, haven't you? We've spoken previously about will he stay won't he stay in i guess you haven't quite been sure as i guess times have changed and the stories come in and out yeah i was very confident that he'd sign a new deal i thought he would because i mean his first season he was average his second season under frank he was average he's in about three to be fair yeah i mean he was awful under frank close to the door under frank wasn't he yeah he was basically he wasn't even playing games under frank no and then Tuchel comes in, goes to a back three, and it absolutely suits him down to the ground. So 
it's been a weird one. Like, I've seen someone sum it up that his first 18 months at Chelsea shows you why we wouldn't want to offer him the money that he's getting offered at Real Madrid at the moment. But his last 18 months makes you ask the question that you should. So it is really, it's a toss-up. Because it's not... He's been great, but he's also been coming to the last year of his contract. Is it one of those out-of-by-all yeah. moments where he's on loan, he absolutely rips up trees and then goes to absolute shit as soon as he gets the big deal? Like, who knows? It, it is a weird one. So how much do you think this is affecting Tuchel then? Because for him, the comments he said, for him to lose him, is that going to be a big sense of frustration for him? I would say so. I mean, that's going to be frustrating for anyone for losing their best defender. He, let's get it straight, he is yeah. a defender. I know we look back to Lyric about Thiago Silva and he's brilliant, but he's also coming up to 38 years old. He's 38 now. Is, is he not 38 now? I thought he broke no, the record against think, Arsenal. I'm not sure. I think he's, it was his birthday this season. He's 37. He's 38. Okay, okay. I'm not sure I could be wrong. He's 37 till he's 38. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, if you're going to lose your best defender out of the heart of an already pretty shaky defence when you look at the players that are playing there at the moment. And not only that, like I made, the main point of frustration is that he's got a motivated defence now that his three starting centre-backs, if you don't include Thiago Silva, are all going to be gone next mm. season. Yeah. They reckon they'll be back for United. Everyone likes beating United. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't. Like, we, since... United have gone through their banter years. We've had terrible results against them. Oh, yeah, I've really? got something on that in just a moment, actually. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think we've won it Old Trafford for nine years. So, like, it, that's how bad it is. I, so, I never get to, I never get this joy that everyone else seems to get at their expense because they always seem to put out result against us. And on top of this, Fabrizio Romano reported today that Barca is still offering deals to Azpilicueta. Like, Chelsea want to extend him, but Barca are, are still trying to bring him in. Yeah, I think that that's going to probably stay, mainly just because he's our captain. I, I would hope that he feels some sort of duty towards the club. Well, that... you, you've got the option of an extension, but from what I'm reading, you're being quite honest with him and saying, look, if you don't want to be here, we'll, we'll let you go on a free. I guess like he deserves it after the service. And also, who's going to pay for him at this stage? So it's pretty useless. Yeah. Yeah, I think we could really do a keeping him because, like I said, we face the prospect of going into next season with Chalabar, Silver and Malang Sar as our starting centre-backs, if not. And after seeing Malang Sar on Wednesday, I just never want to see him in a Chelsea. <laughs> Alex, like, do you think Rudiger worth 250 grand a week? Um, no. No, I don't think he is. Um, for To Chelsea, he's worth that. I said, yeah. He's, to Chelsea, he's worth that at the moment because of the situation they're in. But for any other club, I'm not so sure. I I can't stand the bloke. 250 grand a week isn't as much as it perhaps was at, at this stage. I don't know how many centre backs. In a four at the back, if you're I not do, but Chelsea are, playing, Chelsea, Chelsea are playing a three, aren't they? And that's one of the things. What sorry. it means, though, isn't it? it that's kind of links back to Alex's point. So Chelsea, he's a perfect fit. Yeah, so, so a lot of other two hundred and fifty grand a week for them. Yeah, fine, but for another club, it's, there is an element of risk to it. I guess Jack would say as well. One of the things that um, was pointed out by Tuchel is he does give you like forty, fifty games a season. Yeah, 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 sure. 
when you look at some other guys who we probably put around the same uh, wage, but perhaps their availability isn't quite there. Jack, a, a debate I saw on Twitter this week, and I'll ask you to uh, rate them one to three. Rudiger, Matip, John Stones. Matip. Oh, it's difficult. That is, I mean, that is that's the worst. Difficult. John Stones is worst in my eyes. And then it's, if you're taking Rudiger the last 18 months, then I would just put him ahead potentially of Matip. But if you're going for the overall time at Chelsea, I'd say Matip because you can't ignore his first 18 months. Yeah. And Matip. Well, I mean, been... now, if, if you're, Put, if you're picking a defence today... Oh, I mean, you're talking about one of the best defences in Europe in Liverpool's, which is hard to argue against, and he is a big part of that. How many games has he played this season, TK? Like, the majority, or...? Yeah, he's played, he's played the bulk of the Prem games. Then, yeah, I'd probably put Matip. If, um... if you look at our defence, especially in the last... In the last two weeks, it's been, oh, it's been awful. So, Conceding four to Arsenal, you've got a hey. question. It, it's hard to make a case for Rudiger after... At the start of the season, when we conceded, like, no goals, it was great. But recently, we've been absolutely mm. just letting them flow in. So I'd have to put Matt Genuine question, Jack. If I asked you this question a fortnight ago, would your answer have been different? Again, it still would have been hard to argue against. Cause... Okay. I wondered if him uh, being officially out the door may have changed things for <laughs> no. you. He's dead to me. No. Like I said, it's not like other times where Courtois just suddenly sprung it on us and we've gone had to go and find a keeper from somewhere. <laughs> I don't... I don't know. That, that, ended up pretty, that ended up quite well. Got a good young Spanish have... keeper in. I'd rather have Courtois than Mendy. I think that's good as well. So... Yeah, I think we saw that in the Champions League, to be fair. Exactly, yeah. Um, so another thing for Tuchel's frustration, and I'll kind of interlink the two here, Chelsea's recent form, I guess, slash their home form for the season. Your home form this season, you've played 16 games there. You've won eight, drawn five, lost three. Mm. Now, Tuchel has spoken about some of the factors that he feels play into that. He's referred to a COVID-19 outbreak, uh, the sheer number of games that he's had to play. Um, but you've got to say, I mean, Liverpool and Man City have had the same kind of issues there. And to quote you on the opening day, Chelsea had two starting 11s. Yeah, we did. So for him to talk about the number of games the squad have to play, might be a case of Crimea River on that one. There is. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there is. I mean, no one's going to take sympathy. So I'm... I'm don't expect it either. I think that the main issue we had was the COVID outbreak when it happened over Christmas when we played like five games in 15 days or whatever it was. Even um, even still, though, Jack, four, four of those draws have been against Burnley, Everton, Brighton and one of the worst Manchester United teams we've ever seen. Yeah, no, I know. I'm, I'm not defending it. And the annoying thing about it, I was at all of those games. That's the most... Draw a Liverpool in there. That's not too bad. That, that was a good draw, again, was that, that one. I mean, I, I was working it out, and the last time that I saw us win at Stamford Bridge was a 3-2 win against Leeds in January. <laughs> and like, I've been about 19 times this season, so it's um, not necessarily good. One, well, it beat West Ham, which I think couldn't go to. Maybe, maybe that's what it is, I just stopped going. Do you know the three losses we're against? Uh, what, total Premier League or just at home? Yeah, just at Stamford Bridge. 
Um, Brentford, Arsenal, and Man City. Yeah. Well, who is someone shuffling a deck of cards? <laughs> is that you, Alex? It's not me. I can hear that. I, I could hear it, but I, I've been yeah. having a bit of interference all episode, to be honest. All right. I don't know what I'm looking at there then, because I've got my notes up rather than uh, the little thing. Alex, then, you're on patrol. You watch those little boxes and you see who flashes up next time we get some noise. You're on the night watch. <laughs> um, all right. Jack, the, the Brentford one, I guess, is, is the one that you're going to point at because Chelsea's home form... Your away form is up there with Liverpool and Man City. Yeah, it's crazy. But for some reason with Tuchel, he's got the worst points per game record at Stamford Bridge of any manager in the Roman Abramovich era. And yeah, including Frank Lampard, and I saw it. Um, like, Blimey. I believe that... I saw some analysis done on the size of our pitch, and we do have a smaller pitch than most. Um, <laughs> in, in like the game that we play, we make it very easy oh. to play. <laughs> I, I remember. It, you know, what's the pitch bigger for Jose? <laughs> no, no, but my, my, my point is. The pitch is a bit dry. I remember on the flip side of it, was that they made. I remember in 2012, they made the pitch slightly smaller to the absolute minimum a UEFA Champions League pitch can be when Barcelona played played us um, versus the new camp. And it worked because it's very easy to defend or easier to defend, even against Barcelona. And we're nowhere near as talented as that. 2010-2012 era of Barcelona and we find it so difficult to break teams down that we look clueless. It's actually painful to watch sometimes. Um, when, when I saw the Liverpool-Man United game with that ball over the top, I think it was it Mane played Salah in? Yeah. Uh, like, we don't play that ball. That ball gets passed back to the defence and that's it. Yeah, and, you also don't have a Mane or Salah to be fair. No, I know. but what and You had one of them. You would say that we've got the quality to start asking these questions of defences, though, instead of just the standard pass it back. That is the issue. So I don't think cool. I mean, my main my main thing here is, and I've come back to it, and I'll come back to it again. We've had Reese James and Ben Chilwell start <laughs> for five <laughs> for five games this season, this whole season together. Um, and the aggregate. We just had Tavares and Cedric and put four and um, scored four at Stamford Bridge, <laughs> but. Yeah, that's yeah. a problem. The aggregate score of them two starting together is 18-1. They get goals, they create chances. Come our on, whole, come on. Our, our <laughs> whole system is built around overloading the wide areas, which drags teams out because they've got players that can beat players on the wing, which creates more space. Well, do you know what Tuchel's paid to do? He's He's got to find a different system when that's yeah, the case. I agree. We should have gone to a back four much sooner on Saturday than we did. Whoa, whoa. Really oh, I can, I can back four. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's the answer. <laughs> Tuchel <laughs> said when when the stat was brought up to him, he's he blames it on winning the Champions League. He said that because you won the Champions League, all teams that come to Stamford Bridge, their first effort is not to lose, and so they're more defensive. That is true. Uh, yeah, but are, are Norwich play any any different against you whether you won the Champions League or not? Norwich aren't no, but the kind of middle of the pack slash the bottom half of the top six. Oh, I, I can ask Alex and I can ask TK here. Probably Alex is a better, a better person to ask. Um, do you think if Chelsea lose that Champions League final, are we playing any differently against them, either of our teams? Absolutely not. Not with their lineup. It's that 
well, you winning the Champions League hasn't changed that because you've still got the same team. We're still going to respect you or disrespect you in the same way. <laughs> See, the problem but is you, you don't, you don't, you don't get, you don't get like Tottenham have got literally in the last two games we've got the exact same problem of where teams are are setting up to play more defensively and not leaving any space in behind. So it's not it's not consistent with what you're saying. And we've won fuck all in the last few years. So last few, well said. <laughs> I think that I look at it and it's not so much just. I'll come back to the, the fullback areas. It's not just the lack of the fullbacks that we want to have starting. It's forcing Aspilicueta and Marcus Alonso at 31 and 32 respectively to play 50 games a season or 35 <laughs> games a season. You, you played Reese James at centre-back and you played Aspilicueta at fullback. Like That, that seems a fairly easy fix. That was only the last <laughs> two games. I think that was to counteract the pace of Saka. But and, well, well. and Zaha in the... Um, Come on, uh, the, what's because semi final. Tuchel, I can I can tell you, we're going to get onto the Arsenal game in a little bit. But Tuchel, some of his comments uh, since he's joined Chelsea have got particularly worse in the last few weeks, which is where my main question about his frustration has come from. Um, he blamed the Stamford Bridge, Stamford Bridge pitch after losing to us. He said to say the pitch is difficult to play here, it maybe sounds like an excuse, but it's very it's a very very difficult pitch that we have. Um, after you lost to Brentford, he blamed the atmosphere in the ground, which Jose did the same, actually. So Chelsea fans, maybe just Chelsea, 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 <laughs> Chelsea isn't getting the players as pumped up as it should. But you go all the way back. Jorginho, when he gave the goal to Man United back in November, he said he was heavily disturbed by the Stamford Bridge lights. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with this bloke? Is he? Is it a case of, and maybe it's slightly different now, that you never feel safe as a Chelsea manager, so you're just understandably really tense, or is it something um, else? Because this 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 doesn't feel like it should be a crisis, but Tuchel, the way he was speaking after the Arsenal loss, was was like you were competing for the title, and that's just completely derailed it. Like in the grand scheme of things, that loss should be nothing to you. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, blame the pitch. Is, I've always thought that a ridiculous. Like arguments mate. Both teams have to play on that pitch. It's not the pitch that's stopping us being absolutely clueless creativity wise. That's not the pitch. Like I don't, I don't there's no way you can blame it. It's we've got the way I've I've looked at it is that we've got a lot of transitional players that like to play in the transition when there's space. We've got absolutely no possession based players. You look at City, for example, they've basically pumped their entire team full of Bernardo Silvers, Grealish, and like Rodri, Fernandinho, David Silva in years gone by, Kevin De Bruyne, which are used to keeping the ball into tight spaces, used to breaking teams down with a little bit more creativity, balls in behind, utilising crosses a lot more, but actual pinpoint crosses, overloading to make sure that they make that space. Same with Liverpool. They've got energetic like players that are just quite happy to play and outside of the foot pass on like on the spin. But Tuchel, I look at that midfield of Kante, we know he's he has been brilliant, not so much recently, but he's got it in his locker to really break up play. Hasn't got that creativity side. Jorginho loves the sideway pass and that is literally what he can do. And he's the slowest player third place in the Ballon d'Or you're talking about. It's ridiculous. He's the slowest player I've ever seen. (laughs) Wow. It's just so slow um so that 
in midfield is already not a good starter. You've got Kovacic, who's good at dribbling and breaks the line, but lacks that creativity. But this isn't explaining Tuchel's things because he's had these players the whole time he's been there. He won a Champions no. League with these players. Do you not think he sounds more tetchy now than he has previously in his time? Yeah, he would do, though, because he's coming off the back of a really bad string of results. And a lot of them, I can imagine him being frustrated because a lot of them, there's some really dodgy team selections like the Arsenal one. But apart from that, really his fault. He can't help. He can't offer the money to Rudiger. He can't help all these players are injured. He can't help (sighs) the amount of not getting a game called off when we're the only team not to have a game postponed with nine players out injured with or with COVID during the busiest period of during winter. So there are excuses for it. He's not angry about that now. No, but I think, I mean, he'd be remiss not to. He dropped a lot of points over Christmas. Yeah, he's, he's not lost. He's not lost to Arsenal and he's in the, he's in the conference going that period in December. He's suddenly remembered it and now he's raging. No, no, I'm not. I'm just saying that it's just general. You're asking why he's progressively getting stranger with his comments. I'm just saying progressively throughout the season, things have just generally got worse. You've got, a £100 million striker that he's done... And this isn't a system that doesn't fit him. It's him just giving up because he worked in the system up until his injury against Malmo. He came back. He scored a goal from a corner against um, Aston Villa on Boxing Day. Yeah, he bullied then, them at the, at the end then, of that game. And then bullied the defender to win a penalty in the last minute. Absolutely run them ragged. And then this interview comes out that he wants to go back to Inter. Words were probably said, and he has never been the same since. Jack, was mm. was he? Yeah. Is he one where Tuchel asked for him, or is he one where Chelsea have gone? You're having him. I think it's probably. I mean, it's probably a bit of both. If someone says, "Right, we've got this guy, who's one of the best number nines in the world, and we're missing chances hand over foot last season as we were," like you would jump, usually jump at the chance to be able to sign an 100 million pound striker. I remember you, you were sit- linked with Haaland at the time as well, weren't you? Is, do you think that was that was who Tuchel wanted and Chelsea wanted Lukaku? And <laughs> Look, at the end of the day, just to be able to, to, how entitled I would sound to say that, oh, well, Tuchel wanted Haaland, so we had to go in. No, no, but like Arteta got rid of Arteta was sick of Aubameyang and he got rid of him. Is there is there a sense where Lukaku isn't Tuchel's guy? And so get him out of my sight. I don't want to see it. He made all of the right movements, all of the right sounds, all of the right interviews when he came to Chelsea about how he was a fan, how he's been there since he was 14, and like the Didier Drogba being his idol, and given all these interviews, being plastered all over Chelsea TV, banging in the goals and banging in really consistent performances as a striker, scoring his debut, scoring his home debut, just banging in the goals. Um, that was fine. So you can imagine if he's doing the job that Tuchel wants him to do, they're going to get on. When you start giving interviews to Sky Italia where he's saying that he wish he didn't leave Inter and that we were our fifth choice, you, there is not a chance in hell that Tuchel's let that go lightly. We were, and still are at the time, European champions there. You can't, it's not a way to behave, it's just a professional. Um, so words were said, and I, like, like I said, he is just down tools. There's not, he fit the system before he got injured. He came back, still fit the system. The interview comes out. He stops playing. So Honest, something was said, and that's what's causing the issue. His response has been horrible. Exactly. Again, and it's not really Tuchel's fault, but in fact, no, I'd probably no. I'd be back. I'd be back in Tuchel over Lukaku. Yeah, I mean, every yeah. day of the week, twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
on a scale of one to ten then how frustrated do you think Tuchel is in this moment and if you had to point at one individual factor that weighed more than any of the others what would you put it down to I can't I can't point at one it is but Even if like, it's one that's like it's, one it's, is two out of ten, one's one out of ten. Is it's, there? It's death by a thousand cuts at this point. Like that's <laughs> that's what it is for him at the moment. It's been so much that just gone wrong. We could, have we it's got to be stuff? one thing. If he was doing a list and I mean, he, we've locked him in a room at Stamford Bridge and said, "Look, you're not coming out but, unless like you I give said, us this like, list." I, I think it was probably easier for me to ask you this because you may be detached from the situation. I'll give you a list of things you tell me which one's going to be the worst or most effect- affecting. The three centre-backs running down their contracts, both full-backs injured for pretty much all of the season where that's his main way of playing. Um, sanctioned, so he can't... Yeah, I'd, I'd think... imagine his biggest issue is that he's been sent out to the press to defend a Russian war criminal and yes. uh, he's the one taking the flat for it. Well, he's not a Russian war criminal, but that's what he has back. Apart from that, I think he's exactly right. That... Inconsistencies with our weird defence. Inconsistencies, <laughs> inconsistencies with our strikers anyway. With Ziyech, Pulisic, and Werner just doing what they want. Werner looking like he's actually can play football for a change. The last few games, the Inter, the, the Lukaku interview. That's I mean, come on. And we've had eight errors, direct errors, leading directly to goals since the turn of the year. So that's again something you can't coach. He's coached us. I really, I really hope, I, I really hope that you put in like a sad violin soundtrack in the back of this speech. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it, I think it's the sanctions. I think the fact that he's had to be the face of this. I think the club, they didn't hang him out to dry, but I don't think they did him any favors. Um, I think it, that's probably his biggest issue is that he's probably, having to speak yeah. about that. Yeah, probably that. And you I, think that's not what I signed up for here? Although it, you did sign up for a Roman Abramovich led club. This is a guy that's managed us to six finals in the last 18 months. Winning them, and that's another, another problem. Yeah. He's got us to the final. So, I mean, the original question when we were speaking about it yesterday was, is this as far as you can take us? Is six finals in 18 months is a measurement, I would say, that there's more to come. I just think we need to get new owners in as quickly as possible, set everything down, have to sort out the defence. And the rest should hopefully fall into place. Um, but fuck me, we've got a big job on in the summer to try and sort this out because it's a big mess at the moment. And those Tamori and Gwei transfers now just seem idiotic when you've got players on 12 months left on their contract that won't sign. Is Tuchel still in charge of Chelsea in December 2023? Yeah, I believe so. Because I believe the new managers that come in, they've already spoken very highly about him. I think whilst they're trying to bed into owning the Premier League football club, they're probably going to want someone in there that's got the stature of Tuchel, has these trophies to fall back on that he's won, and someone that can just steady the ship and keep it on a steady course and hopefully win something. He's proven that he can get us to the finals quite regularly. So why would you, you say Plus is there right. a worry um, if, if he's losing his head like this when you've reached six finals, if it gets worse, how is he going to take that? I, I look at it and I think, who else would you get? Like, genuinely, we're going to change half the fucking squad anyway. So that's probably what's going to happen. when. I mean, what happens is, is that you, you lose the dressing room and everyone like, so they don't agree with the training methods. Next thing you know, it's on Sky News and they go. And that's the way it goes. I think if you're lucky, uh, Hodgson leaves Watford and 
this this time round is looking more like Tickle's going to outlast half of the defence, well, but pretty much all of the defence, and probably a couple of midfielders. The only places that I can't see is changing much is up front, the like wingers, strikers, midfielders, and that's with Lukaku still probably going. So. Hey. I guess a key thing could be if, if he gets to bring in the players that he wants or if he uh, has to compromise there and maybe that'll be a change. But we'll see how we go. Um, yeah. Into the top four battle and we'll continue with Chelsea here because it was a fantastic uh, midweek this week. Arsenal travelled to Stamford Bridge. I believe Bleacher Report put out a tweet that said after three back-to-back losses, Arsenal have Chelsea and Manchester United next with a uh, skull emoji indicating <laughs> there was going to be death at Stamford Bridge and if anything I think you may have thought you were deaf if you were in Stamford Bridge because the home fans were nowhere to be heard Arsenal fans all night surprising the lineup Eddie Nketiah starts over Alex Lacazette Reese James starts at centre back and Chelsea's annual poor performance at Stamford Bridge against Arsenal comes to again yeah, I mean, one point I'd make there, I was, wasn't was expecting it, but the Arsenal fans were the loudest fans, the away fans I've heard there this season so far, which was I was not expecting that. It's the energy and, around Super Mikel Arteta. And um, the process. The, chance, the, chance, <laughs> the crowd, just in general, is just, like I said earlier, I've never heard it quieter. Yeah, I won't spend too long on this. If we just go over some of the key moments. Um, Eddie and Ketia. Me and TK did the podcast, obviously, last Monday. And for the first time, really, I completely wrote the bloke off. Um, I said to TK, look, I've been saying he's the right man for Brighton at this time. I'm not sure he gets in over Neil Mope. Um, and then he goes and scores two goals at Stamford Bridge. Christensen, obviously, the pitch is very bad at Stamford Bridge, so we've got to make some allowances there. <laughs> but TK, Eddie and Ketia look like a new man yep you're gonna pray he signs that new deal now you've got to i believe <laughs> i believe i call him a championship player so worst take by me well if we'd had those sanctions properly uh put in on chelsea maybe he could have been playing at Stamford bridge next season but unfortunately we don't all get what we want i thought the most bizarre thing really is that TK, you've spoken about Arteta's kind of philosophy before. We've benefited from two completely chaotic games in the space of five days. Mm. That that that's surely the opposite of what Arteta wants, and yet we somehow come out on top in two games that are like a basketball match. Yeah, particularly that Chelsea one. I, I didn't see that coming at all. I thought Chelsea were probably going to do a job on you just because of the way yeah, you'd been playing so going in. <laughs> and I thought the lack of threat going forward you're going to be able to offer. I thought Chelsea should have a field day. Um, that was probably the interesting one. The United one, less so, just because the way they are at the minute. It's, Christ, I mean, I, I don't know who you'd pick them against. So yeah. it, was, it was a tr- tricky one. But that Chelsea one definitely is what you said. Yeah, you can't really explain it. In a, in a time though where we're asking for leaders to step up at Arsenal, the, the senior players that are out, so often it's Saka and Smith-Rowe having to kind of lead the charge. The performance is a granite Xhaka in both games. And I want to look at that the second goal that Arsenal score. It, Arsenal do just about everything wrong. 
that they could possibly do in their own area. Ramsdale kind of dilly-dallies on it, holding tackles him. Uh, Xhaka effectively just takes it off him. He does a nutmeg on the edge of our own area, dribbles past another two players before threading it through to Saka, who threads it to Erdegaard, and then it's just a beautifully caressed finish by Emil Smith-Rowe. Um, I couldn't really believe what I was seeing at that point, and it was getting worse in the every time we did score within five minutes, Chelsea were finding the bottom corner. How it how a foul wasn't given for the first goal was beyond me. But after that, and now I know Jack's a big fan of him, Mason Mount must be one of the dirtiest bastards in this league. How the <laughs> hell he isn't sent off in this game is beyond me. He commits the exact same tackle that Bruno Fernandes commits, and he should have been red carded in the game on Saturday. I can't even blame the English bias for Bruno. Mason Mount is vile, and then he stands over poor little Tavares, calling him every name under the sun. I want you to apologise on his behalf, Jack, because he poor, it's poor a disgrace. <laughs> yeah, poor little Tavares. He's clearly got a few issues. <laughs> and then he's got Mason Mount going studs up on his standing leg, and VAR barely even have a look at it. Mason's yeah. looking to do you boys a favour. I mean, I haven't watched the highlights back, so I don't feel like I needed to, so I, wow. I can't comment. Um, El Nenny. Now, Alex once argued that Hoiberg was a better player than him, which I think the international pedigree, the big wins, perhaps tell you different. I... St- don't really know where we stand with this guy. TK, there's been Arsenal fans, as does tend to happen in these situations, that are clamouring for this guy to get a new deal now after the, after the two wins. Of course. He spoke on after the game on Saturday, and he said he'd sign a new deal at Arsenal, even with no guarantees of first-team football, which I don't think we're coming, to be honest. Um, he said, <laughs> if Arsenal say we want you, I don't think about leaving. It's my family for six years. I love this club. Now, whether it's Champions League or Europa League, you think Arsenal are going to have some form of European football next season. We won't mention that uh, dreaded Conference League. Is this a guy that Arsenal should be looking to keep on the books? Or is it, look, we know what we've got from you now. If we want to move forward as a club, see you later. Uh, He's a fine squad player. If you're not playing him too much, he's fine to have. So... If that's what he's going to be used for, and he's not asking for huge money, then it's fine. Uh, I don't imagine it is from what he's saying. If he's saying he's not demanded first team football, uh, he's I would imagine forty grand a week. Then I, I would probably do it. In terms, of, I don't know that you're going to. I wouldn't really trust you to get someone in. If you buy someone thinking they're going to be a squad player, you probably end up with someone of like the sort of quality of like Cedric, if, and that's if, probably not really good enough. Whereas Alneny is just a an unspectacular but solid enough option to have in your squad, which every squad needs. Yeah. If you may as well just keep them around. Brighton, Southampton and Palace games, what you can see there is that Lokonga is clearly brought in to pick up the minutes that we would give to someone like El Nenny. Hmm. Now, it's very telling that we go to Stamford Bridge and El Nenny is clearly a guy that Arteta trusts. I was going to say, because he keeps throwing him in these big games. Yeah, he played him at 
uh, Old Trafford, no, at the Emirates against United last season. I think if Arsenal start a cup final tomorrow, he picks out Nani over Lokonga. Yeah, um, yeah, I think he probably would. I think the deciding factor is maybe whether it's Champions League or Europa League. Perhaps if it's Champions League, then you say, okay, we keep Al Nenny because we'll direct our resources to really strengthening the first team some more. Perhaps it's Europa League, you say, we'd rather give those minutes to someone who's a little further down the pecking order now but can pick up some minutes here. Yeah, fair. Um, Jack, I don't really know how you would have felt leaving Stamford Bridge because if I told you pre-game that you're going to lose to two Eddie and Ketia goals and a sucker <laughs> and a sucker penalty. You probably asked me <laughs> what I'd been smoking before having a conversation with you. When Saka steps up to take the penalty, first of all, did you think it was a penalty? Because I couldn't believe they were even discussing this one in the studio. It looks to me, I was dead in line with it right front. And I just, I look up because obviously you break away. Um, get the ball in the box. And I look up and just see Azpilicueta just shoving him completely off the ball. And I'm just <laughs> my head, hands on my head like, what the fuck is, what's he doing? What's, he go, what's going on here? Like, that is as clear a penalty as you're ever going to get. And, if, just, and it just seemed so unnecessary because the ball was going no, nowhere near him. If, if David Luiz had done that, you'd be saying, oh, that's typical David Luiz loses his head, he doesn't know how to defend and TK, you, you've spoken previously on the podcast and made quite a big thing about, okay, as a defender we almost have the unwritten rule where you can grab someone but don't grab them for too long don't make us have to be wising up to the fact that you are grabbing someone Yeah, you've got to grab and let go, grab and let go don't hold around someone's waist don't make it so obvious Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty simple again, like, I haven't seen it back on highlights, but in first hand, it looked nailed on. I couldn't believe how angry as Piliqueta was after. I, I don't know <laughs> if it was like he's, he's angry he's been caught, the, like it's like only, an R&B song. Or like... <laughs> the, the only thing I can think of is that Saka had hold of him and he was like pulling him towards him. But at that point, why have you got your arms around him? He said he trapped his arm once it had gone round him, and it's like you're kind of selling yourself at this point. Yeah, I mean that you got to have the nails not to do that in the first place. But I mean. As much as we've conceded four goals, we need to give a special mention to the defending on show from us in general. Well, just from both of us, actually. Saar is like, blimey. I he think is, he'd fit right in alongside your Mustafis and, yeah. He is woeful. Like, stature-wise, <laughs> stature remember at the start of the season, seeing him start, God, bloody hell, he looks small. Like, for a centre-back, anyway. <laughs> And then when you put him in a back three, when he stood next to Thiago Silva, he looks minuscule. And he misjudged every ball. Like every ball would bounce over him or go over him. And he would make... I, mean, I could see he was getting like really wound up or upset right at the end that he wasn't contributing anything to the forward play. So he decided to do like a curling cross to no one out for like towards the corner flag. I'm like, it just sums up his game. You've got to say as well, Jack, from what you've seen of Chelsea, being alongside Thiago Silva seems to be one of the most calming things that you can have as a centre-back by. I imagine that he's just walking you through the game. Yeah. And so if you're that ragged when you're next to him, 
if he's in a back four, geez, Louise. Thiago Silva was really fucked off with him because there was a time there was in the second half where they switched positions because the Thiago Silva had to cover for him. So Malang Sar was running through into centre defence. And then Thiago Silva has the ball out on the left centre back position by the corner flag. And Malang Sar stood next to him. And like he wouldn't go back into the centre defence to receive the ball. And Thiago Silva was screaming at him, fucking move. <laughs> I, I know he can't speak a lot of English, but he obviously knows that one. And um, just screaming at him, fucking move back to and he had to literally point him where to go. He looked just completely just brain fried. And it was just ridiculous. Like the, the goal we conceded, so the, I'm assuming it's the third goal here. Yeah, it was the third goal. Yeah, uh, where, Tavares plays the pass in, uh, quite a decent pass actually. And Ketia does a spin on the ball and it kind of pinballs between yeah. Silver and Ketia. And Malang Sarnik tries to con- control it. Yeah. And it like, spoons off his foot, goes straight <laughs> back into his path. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? I genuinely, I mean, it's easy for me to say now, but that cost us the game. And that's both his fault for being absolutely dreadful and Tuchel's fault for not just starting. Like, I would be starting really good every game, hoping he gets injured now, just, so, <laughs> just to see if he would well, I think he was injured <laughs> and now... And that's why he missed the West Ham game because they said he was going to be back for the for the United one. So I assumed right. he had some kind of knock. Right. Um, I remember a time when Arsenal fans, he, uh, myself he, included, were gutted that we didn't sign him and Chelsea had picked him up so cheap. So that one's aged quite nicely for us. I just it just looks awful that we've sold Tamori and Gwehi and bought in Malang Sar, and that just looks dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> For all we said about Tavares and, I mean, his performance in the United game, I said after the game, is is the worst individual performance I've ever seen at the Emirates. He's picked up two assists and a goal against Chelsea and United in the last 180 minutes of football. He has, and he's still played pretty poorly. Like, only... <laughs> I mean, on, so on paper, it's like, <laughs> I imagine he, he's going away, which is quite scary. Like, mm. oh, I've not been doing too badly. <laughs> yeah. the, the only joy we were getting really, of any note, was down his side with Marcus yeah. Alonso, who's been, the last two games, completely outstanding. He's been brilliant. He was um, getting torched by Saka. Like, was. It wasn't fair. No, it wasn't. That like That is the downside and the point that I make, that he can sometimes do the attacking bit, but when he does, he's not getting back to defend. Alex. So we, lose, we lose all our shape. How Now, I've seen both extremes of this. How much credit do you give to Bakayo Saka for taking a penalty stoppage time against Chelsea? I've seen the extremes of it's his job, Roy Keane style, to Arteta saying, look, he could have missed and I would have still appreciated the courage he showed to step up and bury that, to step up and take it. Yeah, no, I, I can get behind that, particularly after his experience in the World Cup. I, I think you can pick that up for sure. It's a second against United. Mm. It's, what the, it's what the boy. It's what the boy needs. Yeah, I mean, Arteta, Arteta said, in from a selfish perspective on Arsenal, look, it was a good thing for us that he missed that penalty. I'm not sure about that. He says the way the way his character has gone since then, what he's had to do, though his commitment since then, I guess, to improve, but only a good thing for us. There was a time. I uh, thought we could have had both. I'll be honest. Yeah, it would have been nice. 
I was sat there thinking. <laughs> Don't think we had to pain. choose. I was sat there thinking after the pain I had in the summer watching that. I was like, this is not redemption arc. <laughs> they said that on commentary. They said they said it was quite literally a redemption. I was thinking, yeah, I'm not quite sure about that one. Yeah. <laughs> there was think- a time a year ago where people were saying, okay, yeah, you better a left back because he can't beat a man. Um, mm. This season now, 11 Premier League goals. Not bad at all. Just to run past the United game quick because I think as Jack's pointed out, as bad as they are and I don't know if there was even the slightest sense of UTK before you played them last week where it's, okay, we know they're garbage, but what if for just 90 minutes they aren't? <laughs> when yeah, when, when yeah. you're playing them? For um, sure. And the fact we score inside two minutes, so I was maybe we can just batter them today. Maybe today is the day. I'd, just before the game, I'd watched the highlights only put three past them in 20 minutes with Ursula and Alexis. But Tavares and Cedric are not going to let that happen. <laughs> I don't know if all of you watched the game. I know TK did. I, did. I still... I've been told what the rule is. If it was down the other end and we didn't get a penalty for Diego Dallo handballing it like Cedric did... I would be losing my mind. <laughs> I the actually, rule, in theory, makes sense, but the application of it here really doesn't, does it? No, I watched Rio Ferdinand's punditry just before he came on here. It's, <laughs> oh, it, so it's, good. It's one of the best things I've <laughs> ever seen. It's so good. I keep seeing it at the UFC where they're giving out to the main event fighters where they put like an NFT of one of their knockouts in a necklace and it just plays the knockout on loop. Like, if I could get a picture frame in my house with that punditry just on repeat, him begging down the camera, where's Peter? Yeah. Get Peter. Get, get, get Peter. Peter. Where is he? <laughs> oh Only for God. Walton to come on and tell him he disagrees with effectively everything he's just said. <laughs> oh. oh, it's literally just like having a, a crying fan in the studio. He's gone on his own podcast there and had to point out, I have seen the memes people have been making of me this weekend, crying. Just in- incredible. Uh, the Tavares on a Langer one, never a penalty. I don't what the hell he's appealing for there. He, the whole thing of, well, outside the area, it's a free kick. We know that. And it's the same all, all over the pitch. We say it's like unwritten. It takes a bigger action to give away a penalty. I said before, they need, to, forever. they need to make that as an actual rule. You say that there has to be something more significant in the box because otherwise this happens every time. I didn't get this in the Liverpool-Everton game. I don't know why this was a thing. So like I'm seeing now... It's so blown up. It's mad. But Everton have written to the FA and the FA have come back and said, well, hang on a minute, we want to have a word with Frank for his comments here. Yeah. Um, after they apologising to him a month or so ago. Um it's 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 ridiculous. We all know this is the case. It's the same as like we accept there's going to be some holding on a corner. It's the yeah, same yeah. way if you boot it at someone's hand, we're not calling it a handball. Like, let's have a bit of common sense here. Tavares running side by side and Alanga chucking himself on the deck. Horrendous. Tavares, for all his faults, did what we've just spoke about earlier, where he made contact with him enough to put him off whilst holding back enough and not properly fouling. Because at one point, he does put, go to put his arms on yeah. his shoulders. And if he does that for even just two or three seconds, he's going to end up in trouble. Because he only does it for a split second. 
they're not going to do it. It's a smart bit of defending. That's maybe the only time I'm going to say that about that match. So. Well, it's, I was gonna, it's the only time we're ever going to compare them. Now, <laughs> Trent, no, you, can, you, you won't know where I'm going here. Um, Trent is <laughs> looks at Tavares and thinks, how can I mimic his crossing? Yeah. How, how now, can I look at Tavares? Trent is criticised for his defending, whether you agree with it, whether you don't. I, I've always said it is greatly overstated. But Liverpool have a system in that they're set up in that the majority of the play is going to go down the other side. And so it's fair to say Andy Robertson is a better defender than Trent Alexander-Arnold. And I think the issue is with Tavares... Well, I've used Trent, maybe he's not the best example. We have attacking fullbacks where they're out of the picture. And, okay, the issue is you can get down that side because they're bombing so high up the pitch. With Tavares, the issue actually might be that he is there because a lot of his actions on Saturday and against Chelsea are that he's in the position to do something brain dead where it might actually be a bit better if he's not there. And you go past him and you have to get past Gabriel instead because you can't do this stupidity. I don't know what Arsenal do moving forwards. I have a feeling Cedric goes to left back who had a stinker himself, by the way, and Tommy Asu comes in at right back. It's unusual that there would be such a cheer for Tommy Asu as there was when he came off the bench on Saturday if it wasn't for the fact that we were watching these other two fullbacks. (laughs) Um, But Tavares... I've seen the Abue comparisons. Abue is twice the player Tavares was. Abue oh, kept, kept a clean sheet of the Bernabeu. Uh, no, but he kept a clean sheet uh, against Barcelona. Um, he kept a clean sheet against Milan. He kept a well, clean sheet Abue's against... first year at Arsenal, he was actually quite good. He, uh, and then it just, it just dropped off horribly. And then he ended up playing like right wing, left wing all over the gaff because we just kind of getting thrown in. Yeah, and the games we've been praising Tavares for were, were against like a Steve Bruce Newcastle side and it's like let, let's have some <laughs> context here please and Rangers in pre-season which I think we lost that game as well yeah I, so, I believe I've got a message from my stepmother saying that Tavares is a beast like, yeah well the same, with, the same happened with Kolasinac when he debuted against Chelsea in the Community yeah, Shield yeah. he made one run and we were like who the hell is this guy and yeah, it turns out he was a beast just off the pitch I remember saying that Free transfer from the Bundesliga. What the hell hasn't Klopp signed this guy? <laughs> God. Um, for those who were watching at home, when Arteta brings on Rob Holding, do you just turn the TV off? Like, <laughs> game's done at that point. Like, the cheat code is on the pitch. If this guy doesn't go to the World Cup, it's a mistake from Southgate. <laughs> In this five at the back system, you bring him on, 20 minutes to go. Zip it up, lads. The game's over. I've got serious concerns the lads would get distracted by his hair transplant, <laughs> which is truly, truly remarkable. Got to be the best I've seen, I think. Gabriel hasn't wanted to head it since he had his done. <laughs> like it's going to smudge. <laughs> Mentioned uh, Bruno, the last thing on this game. For all the criticisms we've had of Ronaldo... Fair to say he was he was actually very good on Saturday. He was actually just let down. I thought it was his best all-round display. I thought it was the best. He looked like he was actually holding the ball up at times, linking up the play. wasn't just was obviously putting in a good, yeah. decent level of work rate. Obviously got his goal as well. It was going much down the more channels f- as well. 
yeah, exactly. It's a much more sort of fuller performance than pretty much any other time I've seen him actually since he's come back. There's obviously been other times where he's got the goals or whatever, but that all-round display was pretty, uh, pretty impressive. About two inches offside for his goal. Mm. Yeah, and obviously just even just saying all the all of the above there that shows a better attitude than pretty much every other United player. Even um, him going and patting Bruno Fernandes after his penalty miss. And let's be clear, by the way, there's few greater sights in football than that little rat looking <laughs> looking sad like he was after that penalty miss. Yeah. Sort of his recent form does make you believe maybe karma does exist because just yeah. watching him fall has been truly, truly beautiful. I think we we just saw the karma for taking a penalty like a twat this weekend because <laughs> him and Jorginho look if you're going to do a stupid run up like that you deserve you've got to score this. you've got to take score two steps back and leather it <laughs> and that's so we had a footballing victory for Saka in that sense no nonsense save it for the celebration uh, just before we move on to uh, Tottenham Hotspurs TK if I asked you today to name a club to where Eddie Nketiah's ceiling is as a starter where do you put it? Absolute ceiling is towards the bottom of the prem. That is, if he does Give really well. Is this a relegation or what? Like a the, the Brighton about one, staying up contender. The Brighton one isn't a bad one in terms of. I think they're exceeding expectation. I think if they sort of return to the mean a little bit, they'd be bottom half of the prem. They would need a striker. He could be a good fit. Um, back to Leeds, maybe even. I don't. You know, okay. I don't think I wouldn't hate that. No. Uh, but again, that is, I really do think that's the ceiling. He could end up just being a decent championship strike, and I wouldn't be like the most shocked. That no. would be the most shocking thing I've ever seen. I actually think the Prem might suit him better in that the championship's more physical and he uh, probably uses movement over better in the Prem. Yeah, yeah, it could be right. A lot of strikers end up getting lost there as well. So, yeah, um, yeah. I always thought my man Dwight Gale was going to be, uh, I thought he was going to be the Mitrovic <laughs> of the championship, to be honest with you. <laughs> Um, Alex, Alex, Alexander. Um, Christ, I only get called that when I'm in trouble. You are in trouble. <laughs> been for backing this Spurs team. Now, <laughs> I was worried that I thought you were flirting with flirting with me. No, not not on air. Now, <laughs> we're saying that for the cinema dates. Yeah, Spurs. Two games ago, and it is mad how quick football can turn. It is, effectively isn't it? went from everyone I spoke to telling me, I don't know why you're so worried, Arsenal, Arsenal get top four. Arsenal get, get top four. Look, look, it's Tottenham they're up against. To Arsenal losing three games on the spin and Tottenham and then the book is favourites to go ahead and steal the top four spot. I mean, predominantly Arsenal fans, I will concede. I saw a lot of people, I don't see where Spurs are going to drop points other than Liverpool for the rest of the season. Brighton <laughs> <laughs> yeah. then nullify you um yeah i i campaigned about a fortnight ago saying i don't know why no one's just sitting back against spurs anymore yeah. now spurs haven't had a shot on target in the premier league since sun's goal in the 71st minute against aston villa yeah what the hell's going on has conte told the team it is cup finals and harry kane has done his usual <laughs> I think um, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head, really, in terms of teams are just starting to sit in against us, and it's working an absolute treat, and we've got no answer to that at the moment. I think 
Um, to, to put it bluntly, there is Brighton and um, and Brentford, um, Brentford left. Who should have won, by the way? Yeah, they should have. They they really should have won. They they were leaving no. They left no room uh, in and behind their defence for us, which means that we couldn't stretch them um, at all. Um, and they played us off the park in the middle of the middle of the pitch. Um, I think it really shows the vulnerabilities in the squad in terms of we've got one dimension to play in to make this team click at the moment and put the ball in the back of the net, which we've proven can work. But all you need to do is set up in a certain way with a certain certain tactic, and you've got we've got no answer to it. I think it ironically playing them at the weekend with Ericsson in there really really hurts because. We should have gone for him in January. He is a creative outlet. Cheering we, in mid-game, by yeah, the way. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, Rough. and it, it was. It, we really could have done with somebody like that as a creative outlet in the midfield to try and make something happen. I can recall games when he was in the team, um, games like that where Kane and Son aren't really doing their thing. They're struggling to make a breakthrough. He was often an answer to that on occasion. Didn't do it all, like didn't do it frequently because Kane and Son would always Kane and Son would always steal the show. Um, not to jump on the bandwagon of um, how how critical wing backs are <laughs> to a team. Why not? Don't say it. But but. I think uh, Dorothy oh. is a real miss at the moment. for Ben Chilwell. We're not having it for Matt Doherty. <laughs> we are. Most, we are. Most important player for Spurs, Doherty. I think we all agreed. He is. He is for sure. He is for sure. Um, no, but uh, well, to put it bluntly, um, so he started Sesson on at the weekend. Um, Good player. I, I thought that was. I, I don't. I don't see. I. I, I don't see that. I just didn't see that working. And I think him being subbed off uh, for Sanchez was telling of that. Yeah. Interesting institution <laughs> as well. I wasn't uh, chasing the game, was it? Yeah, no. Um, before I go on to the whole substitution and Conte... Um, I've got a few questions some, for you. So I've seen a lot of people say that he's not the worst player that I've ever seen in his first shirt, but I'm going to come and say it. Emerson Royal is the worst player I've ever seen in his first shirt. You're going to say Sessegnon then? No, no, no. no. Uh, Emerson Royale is the well, worst. Welcome, welcome to the team. Uh, <laughs> I've got I've got membership forms readily available for everybody. You didn't say in a first shirt. You said in the Premier League. <laughs> in the Premier League, I I stand by that as well. Is that he ever? Is tr- truly horrific. <laughs> but yeah, he is he is atrocious. The amount of times he gave the ball away um, at the weekend was absolutely dreadful. That, um, I, when you're chasing the game, that crossfield pass he has that's supposed God. to go to yeah. Davinson Sanchez and goes up for a throw. I don't even want to talk about that. I thought I thought um, Emerson Royale st- stole the show in that respect, but I think Benton Cole was guilty of a few mistakes like that as well. I yeah. felt like he gave the ball a lot. I, in the only defence I can sort of come up for him is that there was a lot of stagnation towards the front end of the pitch with a lot of players standing around not offering anything. Uh, so I, I, you know, it's a bit of fifty-fifty in terms of that was his response to him not being given a lot of creative options in front of him to stupid chances like him having that shot from outside the box with all the time in the world and nobody stepping onto him when you're still is still you know level. Um, but as far as Conte goes, um, a lot of criticism has been gone his way about his lack of substitutions and substitutions coming in too late and then when he brings on Sanchez as his answer to try and win the match that's questionable 
I, I respect that in tight games, it is quite a good thing to go and try and win a game from a set piece, which we weren't winning many of compared to what Brentford were winning, the amount of corners they had. Um, but Sanchez can nick one from a corner. He's not known for it, but he can. He's probably the... who was it? He did it earlier in the season, didn't he? Because I was fuming. When he was was it Norwich who were, think... who were winning till like the last two minutes, and then you got too late. It was a lower team. It was definitely a lower team. But he, so Sanchez has got that locker, so I can understand that thinking. Um, but at the same time, I don't know if he was doing it to shore up the defence a bit as well. well. <laughs> That is well, the, yeah, you know, if anyone's stopped one up in that game, it's probably Ivan Tony's who's yeah, yeah. The team's and, thinking uh, they maybe were getting a steal in the summer. His price tag just keeps going yeah. up and up and up. Brent Brentford are one of the informed teams at the moment. They've won something like five in the last No 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 team has won more points since Christian Eriksen came in. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah. So they're in form at the moment. So we know they're dangerous. But yeah, to have no tactical answer to what we would control no on target. No shot on target yet. Yeah, that's ours. To, 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 I, I respect that. Well, I say I respect. I, I, I disagree, actually, with Conte as a manager. If his if his philosophy is, I want to set up in a certain way, this is how I go and win football matches, we have a better squad of players that should just be able to use this way of going about winning a football match, and it should just overpower anything that they've got, and his refusal to change anything from a tactical perspective to try and win the game in a different manner when it clearly isn't working... I do think there is a degree of arrogance in that which doesn't fly in the game nowadays. Well, I think I said to you um, a yeah. fortnight ago that I didn't understand why teams weren't just defending in a low block, and I actually called it match fixing. Um, <laughs> now, if there was to a manager in the Premier League that perhaps had a history of match fixing, <laughs> maybe this would explain the change in results. <laughs> Levy won't put his hand in his pockets anymore. Yeah, yeah, but to um, but to like to to summarise, there's a lot of negativity coming out of um, our results in the last two games in terms of that's it now top four's gone for us. But I think from how this how this is going, I think both Arsenal and Tottenham are going to do everything in their power to fuck their own chances of getting top four. Well, um, the, I, the terrifying I, thing is it's going to come down to that game, and that's, yeah, oh yeah. Christ. That's yeah. going to be vile because, yeah. I mean, if he really is Pep's disciple, then we're probably going to play on any at centre back or something. <laughs> I, I, I am, I feel like you, you've got past your difficult games. I think now in the respect of you've, you've got, got West Ham next. Yeah, but they're they're. It's a good time to get them. Yeah, they've got this. Yeah, it is a good time to get them because they've got their semi-finals and they've got a busy week. So, and they're not really playing. I, <laughs> They're playing for the Premier League as much, but if you want to play... You've got Norwich and Burnley to end your season. Yeah, um, you've got Everton. Absolutely dreadful. uh, uh, See what they did to Liverpool yesterday. (laughs) Oh, Christ, if if they do that against you, that's going to be a tough one. Exactly. If if we have to get top four and they have to stay up, it's going to be the worst game in football history. If they just need a point. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, I, I just I think that initially our run was a lot better, but I think after you getting past both United and Chelsea, um, I think that run for you looks a lot more promising. Come on, um, Alex, and you've got Leicester next. Uh, but but more painfully, what I'm trying to say from that is how how critical that North London derby is. Like that 
Uh, well, <laughs> earlier in the season, I'd have been annoyed that Brentford didn't get a win. Do you know what would be typical is whoever, the, what, either whichever one of us, well, the most, the most, well, I, the, the losing team wouldn't say this, whoever loses in the end, but a draw would be <laughs> a bit boring. Um, but the, for the outside viewer anyway, but, um, but I think you offer me a draw now, I take it. It, it it would it would be so ironic that the team that goes and wins that game then loses it in the final two games of the season anyway. It's just so it's been that kind of season. Spurs are definitely capable of that, beating you on in the North Under Derby and then screwing the last two games of the season. That we're capable of that. If Liverpool drop points to Spurs, I'll be singing Blue Moon in full <laughs> on air on the last day of the season. I'll I, it's horrendous enough that City bent over and said have six points. No, take them honestly. Oh, take the six oh, points. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Chelsea, Chelsea. I'm convinced. Uh, you're talking about match fixing. I'm <laughs> Chelsea were match fixing against you. They've got a stake Alex, in top. What you saw them. there was the difference between Did a good manager them? and an elite tactician. <laughs> any team in the Premier League, any team in the Championship, could have beaten that Chelsea performance at the weekend. Not all of those teams would have had Eddie and Ketia though. The <laughs> highest scoring under 21s England player of all time. <laughs> yeah. Just need him to do it at uh, the Tottenham ground now. Um, just before I let you go, Jack, I know you do say a lot about Cobham and the academy there. Four players from uh, Hale End. Well, three players got four goals, all from Hale End against Chelsea. So uh, I think that settles the debate. We did you over at your place with goals from Tammy Abraham? Oh, it was goals from Lukaku. No, no I've met a couple of seasons ago. In the oh, oh, we're going back a couple of seasons. <laughs> yeah, because we, we were doing it first. Very Liverpool fan of you. You're also forgetting Lukaku came home, so he counts as a home going. <laughs> That's what you're forgetting. Technically, if he, if he could play against Pablo Mari every week, he'd be sound. <laughs> um. Just finally, we had some rumours come out yesterday. Uh, La Parisienne are reporting that PSG manager Maurizio Pochettino is uh, leaving his post as the coach imminently. They say all that is left is for the two parties to come to a financial arrangement. It's looking like it's going to cost them around 15 million euros to sack Pochettino and all his staff who have 12 months remaining on their contract. The club's president, so ideal replacement is Zinedine Zidane, but he wants the France job after Deschamps leaves. Tottenham boss Antonio Conte has already offered himself up on a two-year contract. <laughs> Alex, <laughs> this is like when Bale used you as a gym. <laughs> Where's the respect? Where is it? There's just none. Uh... You can't make uh, a housewife out of a hoe, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Well, I mean, I very much doubt these. Ru- I, I very much doubt these. Uh, the truth behind these rumours. Nice. Uh, that's the line. That's the line to go with. <laughs> Come on. That's the one to um, go with. But as far as Pochettino so goes, hang on. no, hang on. So they got half the story right, and they just made up the Conte bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure the Conte bit's made up. It's a natural. It's a natural link up there. It's a natural. It's a natural link. For who? 
Because I'd say, say, I'd say, say if, Neymar you know, and Conte is like the most unnatural link-up you could find. No, no, what about no, Neymar and his sister? That's pretty unnatural. I don't, mean, no, I don't mean in that respect. I mean in respect of Pochettino becomes available, PSG are after a great manager. Pochettino may want to go back to Spurs if that's the doors open. Well, Alex, previously. Sources, that means Conte is going to leave. We put two and two together. You can spin what you want. Sources have, sources have told Get French Football News the contacts between the Tottenham chairman Daniel Levy and Pochettino has continued incessantly in recent months with Levy <laughs> trying to convince the coach to return to Spurs. Pochettino is understood, however, to have kept his cards close to his chest as he awaits better offers. Yeah, I very much doubt that Daniel Levy I is made up the last few words. Um, they yeah, say he's yeah. keeping his cards close to his chest, but this is a bad look for you, isn't it? I, well, it's a bad look if there's any truth the in London it. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think there is. I don't think there is any you truth in You don't think there's it. any truth to it? No, not at all. I, I don't, don't think... Daniel Levy as a businessman would not be that stupid, I don't think. I, like, of, all the, of all of his flaws, I don't think he'd be that stupid. The bloke replaced Pochettino with decent... Jose Mourinho. Yeah, yeah and at the, ta- at, the time, at the time, you'd... At the time, the bail money on Paulinho. Mm, great player. And he's still I'm... trying to give Harry Kane a death row deal. <laughs> Harry, Co- Harry Kane takes that death row deal then. Yeah, I, do. I think but, he does as well. By the way, the, uh, you mentioned the thing with Ericsson at Spurs. It's not a bit weird that obviously the Spurs fans making a big fuss of it. We're just going to forget how he left the club just because, you know, he collapsed on the pitch. PK, if, if you'd seen your life flash before your eyes, would would you take that life back to Tottenham Hotspur? No, no. I mean, <laughs> I think you have to go for an extra medical at Spurs, surely, and he's not getting through it. Surely you go, this club, no one can get through this. It's like said escaping one of Jigsaw's what... traps and then going back for seconds. <laughs> His form is what Spurs and other clubs deserve, though, because they should have taken a chance on him. Instead yeah, of letting yeah. Brentford be the guinea pigs. Essentially, if, if Ericsson goes back, we're saying it's because he wants to link back up with Conte more than he wants to link up with Spurs, surely. Yeah, maybe. I just look, I can't forget that all or nothing documentary. He soaked his way out of it. I can't forgive that. Spurs yeah, fans, it, maybe you can. I can't. In fairness, we did see what he was soaking his way out of. Didn't work <laughs> out for Danny Rose, but did work out for uh, Christian Ericsson. That's, that's... You win some, you lose some. Look, yeah, I'm sure. Good. I'm sure Newcastle might say to Christian Eriksen, "Well, hang on a minute. Oh, we maybe we've probably got a bit of a better deal for you here." But does he start over Joel Linton? AJ, all things considered, would you swap Poch for uh, Conte tomorrow? <sighs> say it. If, if you're saying look, there's no, there is no substance to this. Say this is just a hypothetical. Tomorrow you get offered right, you can swap out Conte, Poch in. Do you take it? Say it. Or do you roll with Conte? Uh, can I go with Ryder Conte no. to the end of the season? No. And then no. no, 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 no. Say it, Alex. Uh, right I'm going to no, back the current manager. <laughs> <laughs> you take Deli Ali back too, don't you? Get all the band back together. Absolutely not, no. Absolutely not. If Conte resigns tomorrow... Poch says, I'm coming back, but my I insist Deli Ali comes back with me. Mm, no. 
I don't, want Deli Ali. I don't want Deli Ali back in the Spurs. He really doesn't want him back. Blimey. Get Roy in. Safe pair of hands. I just want that man. To, he, he deserves better than Watford. But maybe Southgate, maybe Southgate leaves uh, after the World Cup. <laughs> oh, God, that would be depressing. <laughs> um, all right, Alex, if we bid you farewell there, we still have a little bit of boxing to cover before we uh, sign out. I'd ask you about movie madness, but I'm assuming you've not seen 1954's On the Waterfront. I haven't, I'm afraid. What have you been doing with your life? <laughs> you know full well. <laughs> Blimey, that's sounded quite ominous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll leave you there. Adios. Cheers, cheers. All right, TK. So. If he ever gets convicted for a crime now, you'll <laughs> I think. I think they're going to play the tape by. He's, he's indicted me. Yeah, exactly. You're getting pulled in. Um, we spoke about Fury White last week um, and how dirty it was going to feel paying twenty four ninety five for it. Mm. Um, my first question, did you feel better or worse than you thought after it finished and you knew that you'd paid £12.50 for that? Yeah, I felt suitably grubby, to be honest. Um, I actually Nick felt Paul... worse than anticipated. Oh, but, oh really? Okay, I, I probably felt about level. Because at least I was going in thinking it was going to be a stinker and maybe a fury decision. So at least I got a knockout for my trouble, yeah, yeah. I guess. Um, and, the, and Nick Ball chinning Isaac Lowe was quite entertaining on the undercard. Yeah, you got yeah. at least something out of that, at least. Um, but yeah. He's demanding a rematch, by the way. That... Uh, as is Didion White, remarkably. Um, yeah, I thought I knew the undercard was bad going in. Yeah. I somehow just like didn't allow myself to believe that it was that bad. <laughs> like I don't know what I was telling myself before. The thing that really grates is like then Hearn and his disciples will say, like, well, look, you don't get that with us. Like, just because you produce things that are less shit does not mean yeah. you get all the plaudits. Yeah, well, I, I felt bad after the uh, boxer undercard for Calm Brook. Yeah. That one was better than this. And the other thing, at least, you know, you can't, it's not a great excuse, but they can fall back on the fact they don't really have that much of a stable at this point. Where no. it's like, Frank is like, you've got time to put something together and you've really not like, come up with anything. My only real emotional investment in the undercard was hoping that Tommy Fury's opponent stayed on his feet so I could complain about him afterwards. <laughs> well, he nearly took that from me. Did his best. Um, I also thought just... Now, I've always feel... I, I don't like it when I see people that aren't boxing fans criticise Frank. <laughs> Because I feel he's our like, guy to criticize. Thank well, you. yeah, I feel like what are you basing this on? Because the things you're criticizing him for probably apply to everyone else that you think it doesn't. And like I saw, I saw some people saying like, "I wish Hearn was promoting Theory White," and I was like, "Why?" And I just, I just prefer, I just prefer it when he promotes it. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? Um, but from a promotional standpoint, do you not put? Huey Fury on right before the main event? Or are you, at least put, you, you, you Yeah, I mean, you came, round he... at, you came round about half seven. 
Yeah. Uh, not Huey Fury, sorry. Tommy Fury. I was going to say, that's um, like the about half seven. Mm. Huey, uh, Tommy Fury had already been and gone. Like, yeah. That doesn't feel to me like you're trying to grow the star power of a guy. But that's um, tricky, though, isn't it? Because if he was chief support, we'd all be saying, what the hell is this fight doing as chief support? Not, can you not have him on half eight, even an hour later? Yeah, you're you probably had, right. You had him on before the punditry after the football had finished, which is when everyone switches over. Yeah, it's also a horrible look, the fact that the stadium is going to be basically yeah. empty, as Jake Paul picked up on, rightly so. And the chief support we do get, is that, is that any, was that any better from like an aesthetics point of view? I guess when they picked this opponent for Tommy Fury, they were at least expecting that he was going to knock him out. I think people were thinking Essam was going to knock out Tetley, though. It was supposed to be a, a competitive yeah. fight, but where Essam were just levels above. If you looked at the, um, the better odds before, and he was one to four for a KO. And uh, yeah. the odds were better for him to do it in the first six than the last six. So uh, that was more, I think, Styles didn't particularly gel. And Esselman didn't look great. I thought he looked like a just a decent enough boxer who can't punch as well as pay, maybe people thought. So yeah. uh, in, in the... that respect, that and um, Isaac Lowe and Nick Ball are probably two okay fights. It's just the rest of the card just looks horrible. And it all just looks so thrown together, which essentially it was. Yeah, I, I take... Frank's point about he didn't have the people available, mm. but at, at, at the same time, it's like okay, well, you you need to maybe pay some of your guys to be available. Like if you haven't got the fight booked for Anthony Yard, you could have put Anthony Yard in there with anyone. And let's face it, it's not like he's reluctant of, to put him in with a knockover, is it? Well, no. And he said career. he said he was worried that he was going to be injured. And it's like oh, I think you take that chance because you at least do something. Um, Especially as know. he's waiting on the shot with a fight that's still yet to happen. They've yeah. still got a fight. What was um, oh, Joe Smith Jr. and Peterbia? That's it. Yeah. So that's and, still got to happen. That's going to take a while for them to recover from that. So you and then they're going to get him out in between. He's, he's saying he's not. He's saying he's waiting. I just don't believe that. I think at some point they're going to go right. He's going to have to get one in between. Yeah, Whether he's going to do that and headline his own show, and then Frank's going to try and sell that. I would, if I was being cynical, I might suggest that. Yeah, you've got. David Amanesian complaining that he wants to be active. Can you not get him on? Can you not get him on there in, in, in a chief support? Then? Let's face it, get him in the chief support, get him doing a job on someone. There's never a better platform exactly. under which you can stick it, it, it on Connor Ben. So ill thought out because I don't know. And I'm not saying I would have come on here and said the undercard was any better if they did do that. It just feels like a it's frustrating when you feel like they have, uh, I could have done a better goals. job here. Yeah, no, yeah. I couldn't. But if I, if you can say that, it's like, ah. Oh. Yeah, it shouldn't not even saying... be a possibility, should it? It shouldn't even be no. that. You should be saying that he's got it. Frank and his team just missed a lot of open goals, don't they? A lot of times when that sort of, uh, they have very few chances to have the big night. And this is the biggest night. And it yeah. didn't really feel that way. No, and on the other hand, like, I'm sure Dylan White's got some, he, he manages fighters because you know, I've got some of them on the card. Like, I don't know. And he then, probably would have said no, wouldn't he? I'm sure, because he's got that weird, yeah. I don't know if it's Stockholm Syndrome in Matchroom or what, but it's a weird thing that he wanted to not promote his own yeah, show. Very yeah. odd, very odd. I actually thought BT did a fairly good job of twisting that to be the promotion, so I do give them some credit there on that on that side. They did, um, but I, I do think him and Fury having a bit of a ruckus at a presser yeah, a few yeah. weeks ago would have helped it. Yeah, it? I mean, I, just, I think they 
did the best with what they had yeah, in that sense. Yeah, they, they definitely did. I didn't think I'd have as many people asking me about it, and we always say that's kind of what we base it on. Yeah, um, fair, I've seen people like posting like um, about it post fight, where I was like, I did, I never in a million years had you down as watching this. So no. there is a, it obviously had a bigger appeal than obviously either of us thought initially. And uh, you said you think it's going to do really good buys. I was skeptical on that. Looking at the evidence, you think you're probably right. Yeah, and if we do talk about the fight itself, I don't think mm. there was anything too surprising from my standpoint. I compared it to uh, Fury Chisora too, and I would argue that Chisora was actually more competitive in that fight than White was here. It we're not the ones in there taking the punches. <laughs> Let's just get that out first. But it's like in the, in, the, in the same way in that we're criticizing Nuno Tavares for his abilities at left back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I feel like when you've got this whole thing, I've been so hard done by, I've waited so long for this shot. And I said last week, the only thing that I'll give him credit for is I do feel like I'll go out swinging. He didn't even do that. He threw a couple of shots to the body, maybe two, three around. He tried coming out southpaw in trying, like that was going to flummox the best boxer in the division alongside Usyk. I don't... What the hell is the game plan there? Were you thinking you were going to jab him to? Were you thinking you were going to jab him to a win? Were you thinking you were going to get him wound up and he was suddenly going to start lunging at you? Because he didn't do that when he was knocked down twice by Deontay Wilder. I don't understand what the hell you could have been working on for this long. That that's your game plan, and then within two rounds you're looking knackered, like you've been on the McGregor cardio plan. That was the big concern. I thought, it's just it? it's irritating to watch because. Not that he cares. You expect at least a certain standard of fight when you do pay this cash. And look, more fool us if we do it. But I don't want to hear anything from you after the fight when you come in and you perform like that. And to have the nerve to come out now and say it was a close fight, I deserve a rematch. Jesus Christ. (laughs) One one judge had Fury by one round, by the way. I saw that, yeah. I mean... That judge was on crack. Yeah, yeah. That's inexplicable. Um, and it, you can't even say based on the home fighter, can you? Because Fury's the home guy, really, in all this. So very, uh, very bizarre. People into the 2000 Days narrative. Yeah, the, the thing, that is probably the main thing. Cause neither of us thought it was going to be overly competitive. We're both are Fury winning, right? So we shouldn't be sort of saying that it's too shocking, because I guess it kind of fell in line with what we've seen. That's why we didn't really want to pay for this, right? It's kind of, and we weren't as hyped for it as some yeah. people were. But you are right. When he does have this whole thing, I've been waiting all this time, you do feel like he's got to have given it more of a go than what he did, just in terms of shouldn't be looking that exhausted that early. And I, I don't even hate the southpaw thing as much as a lot of people do if you've got another layer to the game plan. If that's just to throw him off for a round and then you, you change it up again and you have different plans... He looked like he didn't really have one plan, let alone a couple. Part of my thinking was, okay, if things aren't going to plan, my my actual thinking was if I was going to pick any kind of game plan that I thought he might come out with, I thought after the first round, he may try for at least 30 seconds. I'm going to stick it on him because everyone in the heavyweight division doesn't think Fury can punch. Yeah. And maybe by if you were to measure them next to the top five of the division, 
maybe second after Usyk. But after, after I thought White may give it 30 seconds, I'm going to try and bum rush him. Not crazy, crazy, but let's see if that's the way to victory. Because yeah. Wilder has showed you can hit this guy. Mm. It's not like he's it's not like he's Lomachenko in there. He he's a six foot what seven, eighteen stone bloke. He is there to be hit. Just White's whole dimensions like they didn't add up to much. And I thought he did the worst with what he had, rather than okay, I can see what you were trying to do. It just didn't work. Yeah, even you know talked a lot about the body. Went there a few times. But it wasn't, you know, sustained attack where you thought, okay, he's grabbing Fury's attention to the body now, and then he can whack one upstairs. He never even got to that sort of stage of it. And yeah, I take some of it with a pinch of salt. But Fury is saying that when he was talking to White in there and asked him if he hurt him with a body shot, White was almost laughing and saying, "Yeah, that one hurt me." Yeah, I also thought his approach to it with the whole um, being quite chummy with Fury was a huge error, even if they are mates or whatever, which like hasn't AJ been... AJ with uh, uh, Ruiz won. Yeah, I, I just think you've got to, you've got to show me your all business. I think Fury's got, for all he's such a different character, a lot of simil- similarities with the Klitschko's, where they like to have control. They like to think they're running the show, obviously in a totally different way, but they both do it. And I thought, as long as you're being his mate, he knows he's got you exactly where he wants you, and he can do anything with you. And that's how it played out. Do you think some of it now, Fury kept saying, look, I used to batter this guy in sparring, but of course, don't read anything into uh, sparring, sparring. It's fairly, I think when you look back at this now and you look at the build-up and everything about it, I think Fury knew that this was like candy from a baby stuff. Like I don't think he ever really took this as a threat. And i got to imagine, when you've been in there with... Deontay Wilder three times where you may disrespect his ability and I don't think Fury ever has to the extent that some have where I, well, I think he rates him higher than most yeah yeah so, I don't know if you saw some of the stuff on Twitter yesterday I mean some of it I replied to some of it I didn't um there's people out there that do genuinely think Wilder is just this awful guy that Fury has just spent the last three fights mucking around is- with Surely you would watch that fight. We just watched on Saturday and go, okay, Wilder's a lot better. Yeah, exactly. Than, but, than but this. Some, apparently not. <laughs> yeah. People have decided that made their mind up, haven't they? And so yeah. I kind of think once the you've huge been in concern there... coming in, I thought with um, White, I saw alarm bars really rang for me. I saw an interview of him. I can't remember who he gave it to. Might have been someone like Talksport, something like that. He'd been talking about this thousand days waiting and whatever and all that. And he essentially said, and now I've ended up with the hardest fight I could have had. And he said, this is you know, probably about my luck that I ended up with the hardest champion. Oh, yeah. And I was like, that's kind of the point of a world title fight, is this is supposed yeah, to yeah. be very hard. The idea that in your mind even, you just thought, well, maybe I can get a weak champion is a huge concern. We kind of had that with um, Luke Campbell as much as we liked him, didn't we? Where people are like, oh, he's had to fight Linares and he's had to fight Lomachenko. Like, what are the chances? Yeah, yeah. You go, well, that's, you know, them's the breaks, I'm afraid. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's annoying. Um, I think with this, if if you are Fury and you just fought Wilder three times, then you're like, okay, the other guys I could potentially be matched with here are Usyk, AJ, or White. White, I don't think, is on the level of those two. Some of the disrespect AJ's got in this build-up, by the way. Oh, God. For someone who's not a huge fan of him myself, like, 
this this guy would this guy batters Dylan White eight times out of ten. Yeah, it's, your concern it's, now is is if AJ doesn't want to start taking shots again, does he just go completely gun shy? But he would really have had to because they are on a different level, as you've said. There, it's. I, I don't think White will fight again, though. You think he'll just knock it on the head? Yeah, I, I think he'll say the only guy who was going to, or or he may fight someone who is like a, a real bum, and then say, okay, like, actually, that's me done. I don't think he gets in there with a killer again. It's hard to see what he can do, isn't it? I'd love I mean, to see him in there with Wilder because it would just be beautiful. Christ. Because like Wilder, yeah, it 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 would be brutal if 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 Fury's putting you out like that. Oh Jesus, yeah. yeah Wilder might kill you. It's huge concern. The bad thing for White is that he went out in an unentertaining fight as well. Yeah. So now you're like before. Before this, we were talking about we would have loved um, didn't want Andrew Ruiz, weren't we? We said that's yeah, a, yeah. a fun fight. Now, still probably stands to reason that it would be good fun, but you're probably slightly less excited about it now than you would have been before this fight, which is never a good thing. White's not going to allow himself to become a Chisora. No, I don't see that either. You're right, and, and he's made only... a pretty disgraceful amount of money as well. So, and, and the fact he's fought a lot of the guys who like Chisora is taking fights with. Yeah. Yeah, Chisora seemingly just does love a scrap, it seems. Whereas I think White, now he's made a, a decent so amount White, of money from these big fights. I don't know why he'd carry on. White got, where we reckon, a, a minimum of four million for this. If they say to him, we'll give you one and a half for Joe Joyce, he's going to say, why the hell am I doing that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, like, I'm not, I'm gonna, I've got four million. Why do I need another one and a half? Like, the other guys out there, What's he going to do? Take one of these up and comers? Andy Ruiz. He's probably going to he's going to lose within his next one to two. They're going to wait and then do him and Wilder. So yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't true. see what what he gets out of it. Herm will try and feed him to someone. <laughs> yeah, you bet he will. Unless you're doing Povetkin three, I don't really see what you're doing. Um, just before we close up, thinking that sorry, just quickly, yeah. just think of disrespect to um, AJ. I don't know if he was thinking, right, if I say this now, I can angle for a future fight. I saw Johnny Fisher go on like TalkSport and not put him in like the top five heavyweights or something. <laughs> I was like, are you thinking you're going to get like a, a scrap of AJ or something? Is that what the angle is? It? He's been like boshed Johnny in the head well, too many times. Yeah, <laughs> too many boshes. Um, just on Fury before we close now, he said a lot in the build-up. This is my last fight. This is my last fight. He did the, I mean, I don't know if he watched Khabib's one just before he retired, because it was like a carbon copy of like, I made a promise and I won't, can't go back on this promise anymore. But he's never you... been dishonest before, so... Yeah, any part of you that actually thinks he does retire? It wouldn't be the most shocking thing if, if AJ loses to Rusik. It wouldn't be the most shocking thing to me that Fury just doesn't bother. I think he would happily go with that more people think he'll beat Usyk than don't, so he hasn't got that much nagging away at him saying you didn't unify um, whereas if AJ wins I think he'll see it as easy money I think is, is there um, any part of you that thinks he's ducking Usyk Duck I, is strong I saw a clip of him talking about Steve Cunningham on Joe Rogan and people I, like see you I listen saw to this back well. that's why he's not fighting Usyk yeah I, I don't entirely buy into that no no nor do I for what um, it's worth 
But I do think he probably thinks this is not a fight on the scale of Fury AJ or what it once would have been Fury AJ. And yeah, it's a harder night's work. So do I need this? Is probably not, you know, I think he would take it if the money was right. But I just don't know. Unless Frank suddenly starts going again, I'm going to dig into my pockets again. I don't know who's going to stump up big cash for that. I'm not sure um, Frank will have the person to be supplying the money for those pockets either if uh, that was to happen again. Got a feeling the account might be running dry. With with this though, it's not like Usyk is. It's not even like people bought Luke Campbell Lomachenko. Like people outside of your usual were able to see that and have a level of appreciation for the kind of guy he is. Now, a hundred times more tuned in for AJ Usyk, and no one came out of that saying Usyk was boring. At no. least not not that I saw. No. So. You've almost got the profile made there. The way I'm seeing some speak about it, like, because it's not AJ, this is some small fight for Fury. The Unified Heavyweight Championship of the world is not going to be a small payday for you. Now, the person I actually saw speaking the most sense about this whole thing was Artem Lobov. And I don't know if you saw this. Um, (laughs) Ariel Hawani was doing his usual, look, Francis Ngannou deserves to get paid. That should be the next fight. They can have an interim while Usyk fights AJ and then they can face off with each other after. Artem said, well, I can see why this makes sense for Francis, but Fury can't do that. Legacy means more than money. And Ariel mm. said, well, you can't put legacy in the bank. And he was saying, well, no, you can't. But also, let's not make out that Fury is hard of money. So yeah, it's a bit yeah. different. Um, he said, now for Francis, completely understand, but Francis, let's not make out that Francis is some pauper here. <laughs> like, mm. He's making multi-millions. Um, he said, if Fury retires, he has every right to, and no one can say anything bad about him, because when you look at his career, he's won all there is to win. Look, fair play to you. He said, if he fights again, and it's anyone other than Usyk, then it's a duck. He said, if AJ had beaten Usyk and Fury retired, the whole of the world would be saying that Fury was ducking AJ. This doesn't change yeah. because it's Usyk. Yeah, yeah, agreed. It gets worse, in fact, because it's Usyk. And, I mean, I was shocked it was him saying it, to be honest, because, one, I didn't think he was kind of tapped into boxing like that, and two, just... No. It, it, he don't really think he has a shtick, but it doesn't... It just feels like, why is he having that conversation? Yeah, when I saw him saying it, I was like, I can't believe he's the one saying it. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's the one yeah. educating people, saying, fair play if you want to retire. If you fight again, it has to be this guy, which is pretty much my stance on it. Yeah, that that is exactly, I think, the right assessment. He's, he's right on the money there. And you are right to point out it's a huge fight, not just because of the, all the bouts been online. You think, Usyk's got profile as well, via not only what he's done, but by icing Bowie on a pay-per-view beating Joshua emphatically in a really good fight, by the way, that people seem to be forgetting. Yeah. I think because Fury Wilder was not long after, I think I'm right in saying. Next point. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so it was like two th- weeks, maybe. So that took a bit of shine because it was a bit more of a slugfest. But AJ, yeah, AJ, the AJ views were in the same month, were in the same billing yeah, month. Yeah, that was it. And that was a really good fight. And so if he was to beat AJ again, his profile again is going to go through the roof. Now, rightly or wrongly, being Ukrainian is going to help with it as well because they'll do an awful yeah. lot about that. And so Uzi Fury would be absolutely huge numbers still. 
even if they're going to say it's not and Joshua Fury. If I'm not mistaken, I think Usyk is like White, where he's tied. He's tied in on a. I think he's t- only it was only tied down on a broadcast deal. I don't. I don't think it is outside of the AJ fight. Like I think that's the broadcast deal. So I think after he's done this, he'll be opened up to go and negotiate. Like he doesn't need to spend all the time in that. Like it should be a fairly easy one to make. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I don't think he's tied down in any way. So, so uh, yeah, no, I think it'd be a shame if we don't get that. Um, and right at a time when Fury's at his most exciting. Like, I don't know why he could have been like this previously. It still made me quite ill with the post-fight stuff. Um, hard to dislike Sugar Hill, to be fair to him. Um, I did see a tweet today said, I wonder if he's got his top back on yet. I saw that. It's crazy got on it. That was very good. He's, uh, yeah. he's a great personality, actually, and he's... Great addition to the ca- I wish Fury could have done this in the Channel Five days, so I didn't have to sit through, <laughs> sit through some of the shit. It's actually watching. It's, it's quite reassuring when you do see a boxing trainer these days that can quite that quite clearly makes a difference. Like I feel we're we're quite spared of those. Like I look at a lot, and they just try and do the same thing with every fighter. Like yes, yeah. seeing something like this where fury and fair play to him because someone who seemingly has his ego apparently doesn't have that in the gym like i've got to think it was quite hard to hear someone effectively say you've been fighting wrong your entire life even though you did become the unified champion of the world the much success you've had with that to then like trust that person to entirely overhaul it yeah going in with the biggest puncher maybe ever is there uh, were some criticisms of the trainer choice when when it happened first well, there was a big thing of uh, playing the violin for Ben Davison, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, he was the guy that helped him, whatever. But that, that's aged, uh, per, that's aged like milk. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, f- shows you, doesn't it, that Fury knew something was wrong there. That he then, right, I'm not yeah. sticking around with this guy any longer. Yeah. Picking Which, uh, a trainer, whether a bloke is willing to ask a bird for their number, seemingly <laughs> isn't actually the best, <laughs> best way of doing it. Yeah. But yeah, fair play to him. I hope we do get to see him fight again. Um, Realistically, the. I can't think of a trainer who has had that level of impact so quickly. No, that sort no. Of turnaround, I don't think I've seen. No, because I mean, the example we'd use in this country, probably Shane McGuigan in recent times. Um, yeah, absolutely. But his, and it's almost in reverse slow, now when you look at like Josh Taylor, <laughs> like you see the either either end of it. That's the other thing with McGuigan, isn't it? Yeah, the people who have left him, it's never gone well. I know Frampton was the end of his career, but didn't really ever look the same again afterwards either. I can't imagine uh, Sugar Hill is going to have a shortage of people going to him now. One, because he, he looks like a decent guy to train with. He looks like he has that perfect balance of, yeah, I am your mate, but also we're going to do work here. Um, yeah, he's he's great. It's uh, going to be fun to which, see if he ends uh, up with What's his name? I, I said about him. That uh, Olympian who's just signed for Boxer, who was just like trashing everyone on the Khan Brook. Then, yeah, I can't think of his surname. Is it Whitaker? Whitaker, yeah. Yeah. yeah I think I'm pretty sure he said he was going to do a trial session with Sugar Hill. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that turned out. Interesting. Yeah. So there we go. I think that does wrap us up for today. Um next week we'll do a preview of the UFC. I don't think we'll preview uh Rob Font against Cheeto Vera this weekend. So fun fight, but not one that we're uh, we'll break down here. So thank you for tuning in. Tune in Friday for Movie Madness, Fight Club against On the Waterfront. We'll be back. Goodbye.